Savage, sensational, and super strong. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or a Marvel TV show and then quizzes another comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read with Marvel comics. Hello and welcome to our first look at the She-Hulk a, uh, a very special episode as we dive into the series. It's already on Disney Plus and uh, She-Hulk uh, Attorney at Law. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Rob Holden. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. And I'm also the Marvel expert on this show. And also not on this show. Outside of this show, I'm still an expert. And with me on the journey, because it's his journey really, is a man who's powered by ignorance, who's never read a Marvel comic in his life. It's Mr. Will Preston. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I, I, it's, 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 sometimes I feel I've never read anything in my life for the way I go. Have you read Have you read anything? I have read Silence Aside of the from Lambs. video game manuals. I used to read those a lot. I have read Thomas Harris's <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Which is an incredible book. Okay, yeah. Uh, Not a funny answer, but it's certainly an answer, Will. And you've got Moxie for saying it. Yeah, well done. (laughs) uh, Most of my most of my great literature is books that have been turned into turned into film. I used to. Well, I remember when I used to go to the library, and as a kid, and you'd I'd look for any book that had on the front cover now a major motion picture and i go oh i'm gonna get myself that that, that reminds when a movie me, comes out i'll know what happens that reminds me of a vic and bob thing on shooting stars is like there's no point in reading books because most of them get to the most of the good ones get turned to films anyway <laughs> i i read the novelization of terminator before seeing the movie oh god how was I, that i read it i read it when i was um sick on like a school trip we went away and we uh, it's you kind of went away and did it adventure i don't know adventure stuff it was weird it was it was i don't know if your school ever had this but where we are in the midlands though is we went to stay in this big old old country school mm. And we did a series of things like rock climbing and caving yep, I've done that. and activities. But also at the same time, we scrubbed toilets and scrubbed floors and we had loads of chores to do. It was weird. It was like a it was almost like an, a, a Victorian adventure holiday. It was rubbish. I did that in, in, in somewhere in Weymouth, I think, on the south coast. But we didn't do any of the chores. Right, so you didn't do it then. You just had a lovely holiday. I just had a lovely holiday with the school that my parents paid for. Bloody I hell. Got, I got sick and stayed in bed for like two days and read the entire novelization of The Terminator. Coming up on today's show, we go behind the scenes on the making of the She-Hulk series... From the incredible Hulk TV show of the 70s to failed movie attempts to Disney+. Plus, We go behind the page on the creation of Jennifer Walters and the She-Hulk character. We explore her origins, her powers, breaking the fourth wall. And just exactly what does superhuman law really involve? Don't go anywhere. Stacked and packed on today's first look at She-Hulk. I'm excited about this one because i got to say I'm going to be upfront about it. This is one of my favourite MCU projects. I love this series. It's great. Um, and it's based on some comics I absolutely adore as well. I, so, I, uh, I really enjoyed it. It, I mean, it's, it's just a bit of fun. I viewed it as just a bit of fun and it's really ticking all the boxes for me. <laughs> Of course, there's going to be mild spoilers. If you care about yeah. that, as Will sort of said to me before we started recording, it's not exactly a um, 
plot heavy series but there'll be spoilers for this thing if you if the series if you're listening to this first which would be a weird thing to do mm. um so be careful going ahead um now speaking of going ahead We've got some. I mean, we're really we're right at the end of September. There's not much life left in this month, and Spooktober is nearly upon <laughs> us. The spookiest month of all. That little laugh of yours, Will, was nearly a, a, a spooky laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Halloween is nearly here, and your boys have got some big, big plans for Halloween. Um, next month, we are going to be delving into one of only two Marvel horror movies. We already covered the first one last year with Man-Thing. We're going to take a swing at the recently released and forgotten about New Mutants horror-themed, supernatural-themed X-Men spin-off movie. Can't wait for that. We're also going to be taking a look in the month of October at the MCU's Halloween special, which we now know is going to be Werewolf by Night. Yes! Which will star Jack Russell. Yay! <laughs> we believe, maybe not. Oh, um, not the Werewolf that, by Night and also Man Thing. So, the perfect time for mm. us then. Those are going to be our big, big, big episodes. And then in the off weeks, we've got plenty of um, behind the scenes, behind the page, Marvel versus Marvel revisited on mini shows. So, we're going to roll out Moon Knight. Um, a special look behind the page at the creation and the history of Moon Knight. Of course, the character that first appears in Werewolf by Night. Since Man-Thing is making his MCU debut, we're going to go behind the page on Man-Thing as well. And then we've got an episode coming out, bang, on Halloween. What's left for us to do? Maybe look at Marvel's first demonic superhero we're going to go behind the page on ghost rider as well so we're just really packed with spooky supernatural episodes for the month of october to celebrate halloween two big halloween themed main shows and then of course going behind the scenes with uh, snippets from our old shows to uh, not behind the scenes behind the page to take you through the creation of characters like moon knight and man thing and ghost rider i'm jazzed for this halloween how about you will i i'm really jazzed for the marvel stuff don't know about regular halloween as i just feel too bloody old and it's sort of been kicked out of me because of two years in lockdown i don't know what to think about halloween anymore you just um, eat cool food and watch awesome movies. That's that's Halloween. It's great. I do that every day anyway. But you have a theme. You have themed movies. That's the good thing. Um, <laughs> I tend to I tend to watch Halloween. I don't think I watch Halloween every year, but I I, I watch it kind of maybe every couple of years. The the original um, John Carpenter Halloween. Yeah, it's it, one of my fa- I think it's one of my favorite films of all time. I think it's an incredible movie. It's it, really, d- really awesome. I don't want to go too much into it because I did a whole John Carpenter marathon, every single John Carpenter film. And obviously there are some duds in there. But man, Halloween. Very low budget horror, but very effective. And so just just everything's brilliant about it. Almost Spielbergen pl- in places. It's an amazing movie. Yeah. Really looking forward to the month yeah. of Halloween. And um, we've got a uh, perhaps our most gruesome bonus episode yet that's going to take place in October. We'll be announcing that a little bit later on in the show. Mm. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. So much in this episode. Um, before we go any further, though, Will, I do want to know, where can I see you if I want to see you perform 
the the comedy that you do while standing up. No one gets to see me ever. Uh, I will be performing on the 27th of September, Tuesday 27th, at Sam Rhodes Comedy Explosion in Bermondsey, 46 Maltby Street. That's all I've got here. I forgot the name of the venue. I think it's in an archway tavern or something. Uh, then on the 29th, Thursday 29th of September, I will be uh, performing with Mirth Control in Farnham. Uh, on the 5th of October, I'll be forming at Comedy at the Crown and Anchor at the Crown and Anchor in Bromley. On Thursday the 6th, I'll be downstairs at the King's Head at Crouch End. Uh, and on Friday the 7th of October, I'll be at the Laughing George Comedy Club in Bognor Regis. Oh, no, Reg, I haven't been there in years. Um, you can also find Will Preston on his website, which he hates telling you the URL of. You just type my name so into So tell Google. them what to do then. Well, what do they do? You just type my name into Google. It will come up. I'm going to do that so right why, now. So why have you even bought the proper domain name then? Because you actually need to have a proper domain name to be, I don't know. <laughs> I'm at the top. Oh, before we go... Before we go any further, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, offworldtees.com. They make uh, geek shirts for geeks because they themselves are indeed geeks. You can get the very best um, Halloween t shirts over there supernatural, spooky themed shirts, action movie shirts, sci fi fantasy shirts, comedy t shirts. All can be found over at offworldtees.com. This is not just something you get if you're in the UK, they've got production hubs all over the globe. So they won't be having to, you know, get something delivered to you from across an ocean. You can indeed head to offworldtees.com, wherever you are in this spinning blue and green sphere, and find yourself some amazing uh, geek, nerd, and movie t-shirts. That's offworldtees.com. Join me now into the mind of a muggle, uh, a man who's never read a Marvel comic book before in his life. It's important for us on this show to get through two sides of the story. I've been very well aware of She-Hulk as a character um, since my my youth, many, many decades ago. Um, and then the yin and yang of Marvel versus Marvel is to have me, along with Will, who has never come across some of these characters before or if he has it's in odd ways and mm-hmm. that's what i wanted to jump into with this character then because as you sort of i think alluded to when we were chatting before not a not what you'd call a top tier character no so she hulk when did you first hear the name or become aware of the the character i'm gonna really regret this the first time i ever heard of she hulk was an episode of family guy Oh right, okay. Uh, Chris Griffin was in a uh, was was in a shop. I think this is an episode where they they bring attention to his weight, and it's just a bit where he's just standing by the comic book rack reading a comic, and then he just rubs the comic against his face and goes, "Oh, I love you, She Hulk." And I was like, "She Hulk, what the hell?" And then it turns out I did decent research years later and went, "Oh, that's a genuine character." I thought they were just making up something for a little quick thing, but apparently, no, that's a character. Internet research tends to ruin a lot of these conversations and stories. When you go, it's, it's, so how did you? I looked it up on Wikipedia. I looked it, yeah, I looked it, it up and I read everything. Yeah. I I, oh, cool. Great. I have no experience. <laughs> my experience is through data that gets consumed into my brain. So you, so the original kind of thing when you first saw it, you, you didn't, you didn't immediately think, 
oh wow, that must be a real Marvel character. It was like, oh, this seems because it could be just a dumb joke they made up for the show. That's what I. That's what I was saying. Like, I thought it was a dumb joke they made Lady up for the show. Lady Hulk like, could be yeah, quite a you know like a Hulk babies. Yeah, like remember remember on the Simpsons Watchmen babies when they meet Alan. You Moore. find a way to get Muppet babies into I think every other episode of this goddamn show. It's a am- it's amazing your ability to do it. I have ne- I barely bring up the Muppet Babies. That's not true. Come on. There is data and evidence. There is- it's every second episode. I don't even You're like, like Muppet this Babies. Me a little bit of the death of Aunt May, the death of Gwen Stacy, the 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 death of <laughs> Bucky losing his arm reminds me in many ways of the Muppet Babies. <laughs> Forget the Simpsons. The Muppet Babies were on the ball with every pop culture aspect for the last 30 years. You you find a way of getting there. Okay. So, yeah. And but beyond that, have you, have you come across it in action figures, in in cartoons, in in anything else uh, since then? No, which is really weird because when they announced She-Hulk, I was I was really excited for it. I went, oh, that's going to be cool. I don't know why. Really? All yeah, oh, right. I don't know why. As soon as they, I think one of the thing I, I I thought, oh, that sounds like a cool thing. They're going to do female Hulk, whatever. But I remember when they were showing off uh, the little teasers. For the new shows that are coming out, and all they did was showed uh, um, showed, showed uh, the uh, Jennifer's Jennifer just going, "Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry." And I just went, "Oh yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board with this." Well, like, any idea why? Like, because it, it was tongue in cheek, because it was funny, funny, or I I like it when anything to do in the new films with the Hulk references. The original Hulk series. You, you do love a reference. I yeah. it's I, I don't know if it's just about loving a reference. I think I specifically uh, I love might be. referencing <laughs> that old TV show. It's because it was such a big thing, and it's just it's never really done in the MCU apart from ever so slightly in say this and the Incredible Hulk, which they of course had Lou Ferrigno and they played the theme in it. More than that, they had the eyes. They did the eyes in that. Oh yeah. He had the white uh, Ed Norton did what the white eyes when he was transforming. Oh, okay, okay. And he yeah, said, yeah. Um, he, he he he. There's the great line at the start where he's being bullied in the Mexican factory. I think it was And Brazilian. he says in Spanish or whatever. He says, um, uh, "Don't make me Hung- hungry. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry." And then he's like, "Wait, no, that's not right." And then gets beat up. <laughs> um, yeah, that first, that, that, the Incredible Hulk, as we said when we looked at it is so underrated yeah so overlooked it's a really 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 good um first couple of tier movie um packed with fun stuff that said um, uh, I, I don't know when if we're ever going to handle it but i do want to get uh, get myself to watch the ang lee hulk film yeah we should take a look at it shouldn't we yeah i'll save it for that then I, I think i only saw it once in i had such a negative experience watching it Everyone in the cinema did. i don't know if i ever went back to it um i want to see what the fuss was about because from what i heard it was a terrible movie yeah which i find surprising because ang lee is a rather good director from what i've heard it's um yeah. it's an interesting yeah it's mm. an interesting mess of movie i remember but yeah it's definitely something we should take a look at yeah um I think I I think for 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 from my perspective, like it's it's this sounds weird, but sometimes the logos that Marvel release for their mm. Disney shows are so cool. Yeah, like they use they use the cool 
lo- they're not kind of redesigning logos. They're really taking cool logos from the comics, the 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 legend or the logo that you have on the top of the comic, yep, yep. and kind of just. The starkness, and it was She-Hulk. The fact that it was She-Hulk attorney at law yes. got me really excited for one of the best um, run of stories uh, in She-Hulk's history. So I was quite. And then the, well, you'll 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 take us to the casting, but the casting and the posters that came out were really cool. The posters that came out had kind of a Spider-Man Homecoming feel to them. Yeah, like they were bright colours. Yeah, but and and it's not like they're doing a joke in the poster, but they felt light and fun. Hmm. And so that 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 made me uh, made me look forward to it. Um, well, as I'm sure you've got for as well, there were plenty of opportunities to come across She-Hulk before we got to uh, to this series, and a few things that, uh, as you've let me know behind uh, before we started recording, a few attempts that never got off the ground. Take us then, Will, behind the scenes on how we got to. Uh, this Disney Plus series. Well, this is actually really interesting because, as I was saying to you beforehand, I I had no idea <laughs> the history of trying to get Hulk, uh, She-Hulk onto the screen. I thought this was just like, hey, we haven't done this character yet. Great, let's do it. Boom. But apparently there is a long history. Okay, so of course this uh, is the first live-action on-screen appearance of Jennifer, Jennifer Waters slash She-Hulk, She-Hulk. But the, uh, the character appeared for the first time in animated form in an episode of the 1982 Incredible Hulk cartoon titled Enter She-Hulk, where Dr. Bruce Banner and Rick Jones go to LA to visit Bruce's cousin. Another animated version of the character became regular in season two of the 90s Incredible Hulk cartoon, where she was played by Lisa Zane, the older sister of acting legend Billy Zane. Uh, Cinema's greatest villain, Billy Zane. I, I was tempted to say... Twin Peaks alumnus, but he was barely in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah. he's in Titanic. He did. He's in Titanic as uh, and uh, the Phantom, which is a great movie. <laughs> is that the one everybody just didn't bother watching the Phantom because that really passed everyone, didn't it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the box office was. It's a great fun movie, though. I remember seeing mind. the TV trailer and going, "Oh, look, that looks like another." Early '90s superhero movie with that same feel as Tim Burton's Batman, if that makes sense. Yeah, it looked, I mean, from what I saw, okay. it had that same feel to it. What I want us to do at some point is to go back and look at the pulp heroes mm. that inspired and eventually led to comic book superheroes. So I'd like us to, uh, although the Phantom is, Phantom actually is perhaps the very first um, costumed hero ever in, in comic books. He- so it'd be nice to do, do someone like, mm. do, do the the Phantom, perhaps look at the Shadow, mm. um, maybe... Uh, Doc Savage, Man of Bronze as well. That might be an interesting Savage, project. Yeah. Yeah. For another time. For another time. For another time. Not now. Now we're dealing with She-Hulk. And in 1989, there were plans to have the character to appear in a 1990 TV movie, The Death of the Incredible Hulk, but they never materialised. That was, of course, the last Bill Bixby Hulk outing, wasn't it? Yeah, you can kind of see that would be a good way of doing a spin-off. You know, you, yeah. as, you're, as you're retiring one character, you could set up the, the next one. It did feel like, obviously, remember they, they had a backdoor pilot to Return of the Incredible Hulk, and that never really materialised, sadly. For um, Thor. Thor, yeah, that never materialised. And they did the same for Daredevil as well. Daredevil in, in the, the trial pilot, of the Incredible Hulk. Which I've only seen one bit of that, and and it's the bit where he goes mad in the courtroom. And it's just only because that you could see Stan Lee in the jury. 
<laughs> Stanley simply. We're gonna we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to everything. I, we're definitely gonna get to the, the first the very first appearance of Daredevil. We've got to do that at some oh, point. Oh man, definitely. Uh also, director and screenwriter Larry Cohen was attached to direct a She-Hulk film developed by New World Pictures in the early nineties with Jennifer Waters, played by Bridget Nielsen. Just talk to us about who Bridget Nielsen is, if we're younger listeners. Uh, Bridget Nielsen, uh, was she married to Sir Sylvester Stallone? She was in the. I don't think so. No. Oh, she, I swear that she was. She was dating Sylvester Stallone. Basically, she was. In, Might have been dating. She was in the eighties. She was. Uh, she she was in Rocky Four. She was uh, in Beverly Hills Cop Two, and uh, I think one of the Conan things, wasn't she? She's red. She's, so she's Red Sonia. That was it. And she starred in this big, massive movie. It was her first big smash hit success. And she was in, uh, played another role in the Kona movies. And then she went on to do all these ones. But yeah, Red, red Sonia was a, a massive movie with her as the lead. Yeah, um, massive lady. Of like a female Conan the Barbarian kind of dude um, deal. And um, and then, yeah, uh, she's the, the kind of cold Russian um, <laughs> mistress in... Uh, uh, Drago's mistress in uh, Rocky Four and all sorts. She, she was she was massive in yeah. that period of time from like the late eighties through to around like ninety three ninety four. She was she was a big deal. She's a, a very striking looking woman. I mean, she's six foot tall, blonde, but like cute but fierce. She's very oh, cre- incredible. Uh, did you did you see Creed two? No, you did because she pops up. I know she's in it. Yeah, yeah, she pops up. Her life went off the rails, and that seemed like a a, a nice to have her back because it seemed like things weren't going very well for her for a while. I think both of the Creed movies were great uh, because I went through all of them as well as the. Uh, I watched the first one; it was okay. Oh, Creed special. Creed two gets really good. I'm looking forward to the third one. Uh, I'm not a boxing fan at all, but I, I I loved it. But anyway, back to She Hulk. The MCU She-Hulk series was announced in August 2019 at the D23 conference with the show's creator and lead writer Jessica Gao approached shortly after to provide a pitch for the show. Now, Jessica Gao, uh, previous uh, previous writing experience spans back to late noughties where she started writing for a variety of Nickelodeon shows, including The Mighty Bee and Back at the Barnyard, before leaving to work on other projects, including Adult Swim's Robot Chicken and HBO's Silicon Valley. Have you seen either of those shows, Rob? Yeah, of course, yeah. What is it, what's your thoughts on them? Uh, we've done. We talked about Robot Chicken before. Robot yeah. Chicken is kind of okay. Yeah. It's a, I like all sketch shows. I'm I'm never really much of a fan of a sketch show. There, they're very hit and miss. It's not as funny as Twisted Toy Fair Theatre, mm. which it came from uh, back in the old Wizard and Toy Fair days. It was the same group of people. It kind of went way too Family Guy for me. It's old. Robot Chicken couldn't agree um, more. Silicon Valley is it's okay. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's not it's not something I think is great and would binge and stuff. It's okay though. Yeah, I watched a whole lot of Silicon Valley, and because I work in the tech industry, it's so on point. It's unreal. It's it, it, everything from the terminology to the way things work to actually moaning about the industry itself. It's an incredibly intelligent, well uh, written sitcom with, with a lot of uh, with a lot of poo jokes. Basically, that's, that's that's Mike Judge. He's very intelligent and loves doing stupid stupid humor. Anyway, in 2017, Gao joined the writing room for the third season of Rick and Morty, acting as story editor on six episodes and writing the arguably divisive episode Pickle Rick. 
For writing Pickle Rick, Gao won the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Animated Programme at the 2018 Primetime Creative Arts Emmy Awards. However, while working on the show, Gao and the other female writers were subject to sexual harassment by members of the fan base that were upset about the show hiring women in the writing room. What were your thoughts on Pickle Rick? Great episode. Really, really strong. Really funny. Really inventive. Yeah, really good. Everyone, I don't know why everyone on the internet hates it. I, I get. I've never. I. I. I was originally. My ears picked up when you said divisive. I've never heard anything negative about Pickle Rick. I heard, but I don't swim in murky waters. You know. <laughs> well, any. I don't. I don't subject myself to to those kind of places. Any. Basically, Pickle Rick is used as a punching bag. Uh, as a way of making fun of uh, Rick and Morty fans for pretending the show is intelligent, but it's stupid. But I, but and and people just say it seemed like oh, it's a down point. It was absolutely stupid. It felt like they ran out of ideas. But it's like it's actually quite a very well done episode. I just don't get it. Yep, I agree. Yeah. It's very well done. Yeah, Gao had previously met with Marvel Studios to pitch for the movies Captain Marvel, Black Widow, and Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which did not pan out. But during these meetings, Gao expressed her desire to work on a She-Hulk project. She was one of the first creatives to include the character in her pitches to the studio, doing so in her Black Widow pitch, which Marvel Studios executive Brad Vinderbaum felt was more of a She-Hulk film featuring Black Widow. That's brilliant. That's exactly what I'd do. I'd be like, God, these guys won't let me write a <laughs> uh, a Silver Surfer movie. Okay, I'll go and pitch for Spider-Man. What's your pitch for Spider-Man? Okay, so this kid called Peter Parker who gets bitten by a rat. Then the Silver Surfer turns up, and he's the saves the day, and he goes to Mars, and he meets Galactus. That's exactly what I do. This is, I don't care about what your ideas are. I is, want to get mine in. This is what I love about the MCU films. They, you go, they, they allow enough space to just go, you know what, we're going to introduce another character as well. It's fine, we can, and it's not going to be odd. It actually feels in place because of this expanded universe that's interconnected at all these film and TV show properties. I love it. Oh, God. So Gal said about the whole ordeal, like, I'm a big believer that every opportunity you miss is actually setting you up for something else. I truly believe that I didn't get any of those three Marvel movie jobs because it was building to this point. Each time they got to know me more, I got to know them more. By the time I came into pitch She-Hulk, I think they had a very good sense of what my sense of humour was. They had a good sense of what type of writer I was, what kind of story I built. They just had a very good indication of what I'm about. I think that's a positive lesson for anyone kind of doing interviews and stuff. Like, always, always go to the interview. Always get in there and talk to people. You never know. You might not be right for that job, but then something else comes up down the line. Uh, it, it, it's happened to me a number of mm. times. It's not necessarily work, work jobs, but but other other creative projects I've been involved in. Um, it's just like, every, it sounds it sounds douchey, but everything really is about networking. Oh, and if you, can get, if, if you can get in the room... And get and be human and get the conversation and kind of let them know what you're like and feel out what they're like. Mm. Like that's that's how you kind of build these positive um, connections, and you never know where they can lead. You've got it, but you've got to get out there and kind of like, yeah, meet the people. No, absolutely, because subconsciously, it, there's a huge difference between someone on an email 
or a piece of paper to actually meeting them in, in person, you get 100%. Way, way more of a sense of The amount of jobs I know for a fact, like, look, always apply for jobs you're not qualified for. Just do whatever you can to get in the room because you never know. The amount of times I have gotten jobs because of my personality and not been qualified for them <laughs> is a constant in my life. Because I know if I'm in that room, people are kind of, we're going to have a good, we're going to have a good time, guys. You're going to, you're going to want me to be in the office. <laughs> Funny you say that. Uh, the last job I interviewed for, it was only a tech job, so not nothing creative. Um, it was, it was between me and someone else and it was an incredibly tight race, but they said they went with me because of my personality. <laughs> So just, I've, I don't believe that, Will. I don't know what I can't. I can't see that panning out. The other person must have been like Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, I don't know. They, 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 I've been there for a year now, and they still like me because of my personality. I get everything wrong, and I've costed them money, but they love my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the role of Jennifer Walter is played in the series by Tatiana Maslany, an actor who rose to prominence for playing multiple characters in the science fiction thriller television series Orphan Black, for which she won an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. Uh, Orphan Black is such a good show. Is it? What, such a good show. What's the gist, Rob? Because I might put it on my here's, list. Here's the, here's the pitch. Right? Okay. Tatiana Maslany plays this um, woman, mm. um, wrong side of the tracks, down on her look, um, kind of ducking and diving, getting into dodgy crime stuff. She's kind of on the run from her dodgy ex, and like life is really, really, really going horribly. Yeah. And she's at like a, a train, uh, like a not what do they call a tube in America, like an underground kind of thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's, yeah. It's it's like it's like two, one in the morning, midnight or something. There's not really anybody around, and she's she's kind of at the thing waiting for a train, and she sees just down the track another woman, and when she looks at this other woman. This other woman has her face. And before she can speak to her, the other woman jumps in front of a train and kills herself. Right? And Tatiana then runs up, grabs the woman's purse, and runs off to impersonate her and live the life of this strange double that she didn't get to ask any questions of. And things get weirder from there. I have just written that down on my list of TV shows to watch great it's really fun it's i've slotted it in between top boy and inspector morse <laughs> the cast also features mark ruffalo reprising his role as the hulk tim roth returning to the mcu as email blonsky slash the abomination benedict wong as wong and charlie cox as matt murdoch which we haven't had to got to see just yet because that'll come out um, uh, right after this episode um, plops in your laps. Mm. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that. Um, same, yeah. Same. Just, I, I, I'm also loving uh, Wong popping up in everything now. I, I, every time I think, oh, it's going to be Wong, isn't it? Yeah. I, 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 it's that little thing of, oh, I've seen him so much, I'm kind of used to it. But it's never not fun and funny. It, it, <laughs> it's always good. Do you know what I mean? It's he. Wor- I don't know what it is about him that works, but because he, he's not, he's not a funny character. But he's great at playing a straight man to a good sort of funny yeah. situation. And it's really crazy because I've known Ben. I've known. I haven't known him in person, obviously. Obviously, as 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 us Brits, we've known Benedict Wong quite a while from different uh, TV shows like Twenty Three Stories High uh, and bit parts and other things like the IT Crowd and the Peter Serafinowicz show. And it's really weird because he's actually from, 
from Manchester and he has a completely different voice when he speaks normally from Wong and all those other serious bits. He's actually quite higher voiced and friendly sounding. It's, he's quite cuddly. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Lovely bloke, lovely bloke. And he's had, I think, the Wong episode with um, Madison. <laughs> it was just so good. I um, love the so fact fun. That, it, that, that she ruined The Sopranos for him. Because I got excited. as soon as I heard the theme tune to The Sopranos, I went, "Oh, Wong's just like us. He's watching prestige TV drama in his spare time." Will loves a reference, folks. Man. If he can get, a, if he, if he, if if you say something that he recognizes, he's so happy, so happy. Hey, I I think that's a plus. Uh, Tim Roth uh, is looking well as well, isn't he? I mean, he's sixty. He's sixty, but he's yeah. He's I mean, obviously he's he's looking a bit quite skinnyish. You know, but he's, he's for his age, he's looking quite well. Yeah, he, he yeah. He just looks like Tim Roth. Uh, the series has had a lot of online criticism, uh, sadly, that began with the initial trailers. Some vocal tweeters online said that She-Hulk's body type wasn't as bulky as pictured in the original comics. One of the show's directors, Kat Koiro, addressed this criticism, saying, in terms of the CGI being critiqued, I think that has to do with our culture's belief in its ownership of women's bodies. I have to say I don't have a single clue what those people are complaining about. Yeah. I, like, there are some stories where the Hulk, the She-Hulk, is uh, bulkier than she appears in the TV show, but I'd say not. Nowhere, they're massively outbalanced by the ones where she looks exactly like she does in this series. Every picture of She-Hulk from the comics that anyone has posted looks exactly like the yeah, TV show. Hundred percent. There's just. Honestly, we, we we have to come we have to confront this. <laughs> I'm not saying everyone that doesn't like this show um, has issues with women, but I would say the vocal online group, mm. the toxicity of it. It's this series is being hugely battered by by um, an awful lot of misogyny and and toxic toxic dude stuff. It's disgusting to see. It's it, honestly kind of having to do some. I don't, I don't come across it. I I I, I live my, my social online presence is pretty cool and fun. I don't have to. I don't have any of this crap because I'm a because <laughs> I'm a straight white guy. I don't have to see it if I don't if I don't plug myself into it. Do you know what mm. I mean? I have that mm. privilege. So having to come across some of it when researching and looking into what people were thinking of this show online, it's been horrible digging through these murky waters. Yeah. Everyone stay clear of it. And, like, I don't know. I don't know how to combat these people. They've been, in my mind, they've been radicalized. Um, that's how I, that's what I think of them. Red-pilled is the term, I believe. I don't know. No, I think that's the right, I think that's a, a, a bad, I don't, I don't that's know. That's a different Those thing. terms are negative terms. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I've, I've had this uh, conversation uh, about it with with so many people the uh, the the main criticism is uh the cgi and barely luckily barely any has been about oh it's a woman but i did have a conversation with my brother about it and bless him he's trying he's trying to get used to these modern times he's younger than me and he's trying to get used to these modern times and he's i've noticed change but even he turned around and said yeah i watched it it felt like they were just ticking boxes <laughs> and i and i i thought and i went oh 
That's it's 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 it's, it's it's people going into something with folded arms and a closed mind. Yeah, and being there's there's bad CGI in tons of Marvel stuff in tons of, but people don't come at it with the same vitriol. vitriol. So what happens is people have this thing of I am going to not like this show because I don't like women, and so yeah. then they will fire all cylinders at everything else. I got no time for you, and if you listen to this show and that's like you, switch off, go away. I don't want your downloads. I I uh, I did want to respond better but i only thought about it like on the drive home where i should have said ah but you like james bond films those are nothing but box ticking exercises because just about every single standard piece of mainstream media is a box ticking exercise in my book Mm, sure if you want to if you want to reduce it down to that level you can do that to everything anyway another criticism that has been plagued the series has been the cgi effects used for she hulk this has been the leading criticism of the show with some fans complaining that the quality of the effects used of the main character are very distracting Jessica Gow noted that despite Kevin Figg encouraging her and the writers to feature She-Hulk as much as possible in the series, when it came to cut to uh, sorry came time to start filming, it was requested that some of the scenes with She-Hulk be changed to one with Walters. She added that a lot of things had to be changed at the last minute. Because of this shift, and even while editing the episodes, a number of shots were cut that featured She-Hulk due to budget constraints. So it's been it's, so. There's something clearly has happened here that has affected it. It isn't. They haven't gone. We thought everything was fine. We're confused why everyone hates the CGI. It's just a result of some yeah. unfortunate behind the scenes stuff. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say this. There's a. There's a. This is. This show is full of amazing CGI. No. Certainly, I think the first episode they spent. They must have spent the most money. Oh, on. That's that looks the, great. That's where it all went. That looks great. Yeah. Now beyond that. Here's what happens. When people flag it up in a tweet and show you a still image <laughs> or a four-second clip out of context, you look at it and you go, yeah, that doesn't look good. I'm not blind. That doesn't look very good. But I don't think that at no stage during watching the episode am I taken out of the episode mm. and distracted by the CGI. I'm v- I'm just lost in having fun yeah, with every episode. I I say I, uh, I I think the first minute when I was watching her walking around the office with because when when you see her with with uh, Bruce Banner in, in in on the island, it looks like a CGI fest anyway, so you get lost in it. But when it's her walking around in an office, the first minute of seeing that, I was like, oh, something's not quite right here. But then after that, I'm right. just like, okay, the CGI is clearly not as amazing as a film because it's a TV show. But I'm there going, it's not ruining it for me. It's not, like you say, not taking I, me I out. I think of it. if 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 the rest of it had been shoddy, you know, it, it might if they had if the if it hadn't been as fun, funny, good, and enjoyable mm. as it is, maybe I would spend more time thinking about the CGI. I don't know. I don't think movies are meant to be gift. And screen capped. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> any film would stand up for that, really. Um, there's, there's stuff in Jurassic Park you can do, and that's a milestone in special effects. Uh, yeah, I, I um, again, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that this is great CGI, and everyone that's pulling it apart or criticizing it is doing it wrong. Mm. I think pulling things apart. I don't know. I think that way lies madness. I think, in general, I have to say, I think you're doing it with an agenda. I think your agenda is either you are desperate to kind of create kind of content, so you've got to pull everything apart, mm. um, or you know you have one of those dodgy agendas. You uh, you want to draw attention to, to to stuff instead of 
it's a funny it's a goddamn funny show it's, man i love it i i'd i'd i'm i'm having i'm having a ball every damn week with this series and uh yeah it's not it's cgi is not not doing anything for me let's uh take a trip behind the page now and uh and, and dive into the history of she hulk and her creation and where she came from um and to do this we need to go back to the to the late 70s a time when marvel is enjoying great success of the incredible hulk tv series on cbs which sparks a lot of interest renewed interest heightened interest in the uh, the hulk comic books and it makes a hulk one of like the top two characters at at Marvel, you know, mm. Spider-Man is suddenly is still number one, but suddenly we got Hulk up there at number two, and launches a bunch of spin-offs like spin-off comic books and magazines that reach a wider audience. You know, people that may never have read the Marvel comics but like, like the TV show, they'll probably pick up the magazine that they find at the newsagents at the at the drugstore at the at the supermarket. The Incredible Hulk series was developed for television by a big successful TV producer by the name of Kenneth Johnson. Now Kenneth Johnson's like last big hit or, or concurrent hit um when in in the 70s was the action adventure series The 6 Million Dollar Man mm. with the fake Steve Austin. Um when The 6 Million Dollar Man was at its height of popularity, Kenneth Johnson decided to expand the franchise by launching a spin-off series called The Bionic Woman. Essentially repeating the premise all over again, a, a cyborg kind of secret agent, but with a female lead character, which extended the life of the whole franchise they were doing. Led to another big money-spinning um, TV series. I think it was, I mean, Bionic Woman's massive across the world. I think in this country, in the UK, it is the high, it still holds the record, I think, for like the highest viewing figure for any TV series, any science fiction TV mm. series, um, episodes of The Bionic Woman. It was massively popular. Now, because of this kind of female spin-off concept, people at Marvel believe that Kenneth Johnson might try the same kind of spin-off idea with the Incredible Hulk TV show. Mm. And so the company, Marvel Comics, grew concerned that if Johnson did indeed create a female spin-off character of the TV show, whilst they'd have some royalties being paid, Marvel Comics wouldn't own the character fully and wouldn't um, wouldn't be entitled to like the, the lion's share of like they are with the Incredible Hulk. They'd mm. perhaps get a much, much smaller fraction of the money that the spin-off show would make. So it was decided within Marvel, that they needed to beat Kenneth Johnson to the punch by creating a female comic book version of the Hulk. Mm. So whatever they would whatever steps they might take from there, that they would be able to own that that even if they called it a different name, even if they called it Lady Hulk yeah. and changed everything else about it, like Marvel would be able to hold up the comic book and say, we created this concept first, mm. thus you know, we've got the, the ownership rights, the control rights, and we've got the lion's share of the money. Apparently, this whole thing was a meta joke in one of the She-Hulk episodes where where Titania copyrights the name She-Hulk. Apparently, this was a meta joke about that whole thing. Hmm. May, maybe. it's It doesn't sound like it's very closely connected to me. Ah. Uh. It sounds very loose, that. It could be Easter egg. That sounds to me like the person at 
entertainment.com has been told to write a top 10 list, ran out of ideas at 7, and just started loosely banging things together. No. Like, you know, everything that's on a YouTube video or a top 10 blog. They're all like that. They've all got two ideas, and the rest they pull out of their arse. I hate them. They're all awful. <laughs> Honestly, they're, 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 they are, they're, gen- they're all terrible. There's very few things covering these topics that are good, and we're one of them, and we're the best. Anyway, so November 1979, Marvel published The Savage She-Hulk, um, which was created by uh, Stan Lee uh, and, and, and John Buscema. Hmm. Now, this is pretty much the last character Stan Lee created for marvel comics hmm. let's just think about that for a minute yeah from from 1961 and the creation of the fantastic four through the entire marvel universe that we've been exploring movie after movie show after show stanley is like ending his his creative career here his career creating these iconic characters right here with this character She-Hulk 1979 Mm. it's kind of it's a massive bookmark it's a massive kind of touchstone in the history of Marvel She-Hulk it's it's like because Stan really is on his way out from this point on yeah yeah He's going to move into kind of more editorial stuff and I think he's even beyond that I think the 70s is when he's he slides into that um, president role, president emeritus role, and he's more he's more involved with the TV shows and the animated mm. division and and things like that. It's his um, yeah, She Hulk is almost like the last thing he'd, he he came back and did a very obscure character in the nineties, which is not you know really worth talking about too much. It's cleaner and nicer if we say She-Hulk is the last one. It kind of isn't, but it really thematically and importantly, this is this is the last important character he creates, the last iconic character, the last one that's really connected to the Marvel Universe. Mm. Um, and She-Hulk's... Her, the comic um, was not really all done by Stan Lee and John Buscema. They only did the first issue. And then beyond that, the savage She-Hulk was kind of handed over to a writer called David Anthony Kraft right. and an artist called Mike Vosberg who you know wrote and drew the series until it was cancelled just a couple of years later, 1982. was not seen as a big success, but it also wasn't really intended to be um, a major new character. It mm. was kind of intended to be a, a legal you know we've got to get this out there we've got to get um, plenty of issues under our belts maybe it'll take off maybe it won't but the important thing is and then by 82 the hulk series is gone as well so there's no real need to keep it being published anymore Mm. um after her own comic is cancelled she hulk then goes on to join the avengers nice um she's then a, a, a a takes part in the um major 80s crossover event the secret wars um which we've got a whole big bonus episode on on our patreon um and directly after that she replaces the thing and becomes like this permanent member of the fantastic four for three or four years what's the thing he stays on um battle world so we talked Mm. about this the end of secret during the secret war they're on this alien world where ben Grimm can control his transformation 
yes. into the thing and not. So he stays there for a bit, and then he has all the different adventures. So this this kind of period of time with She-Hulk is in the Fantastic Four is really treasured by fans, and it's cre- it's, it, it creates this long-standing association between um, She-Hulk and the Fantastic Four, which has lasted for decades. Um, She-Hulk's time on the FF was masterminded by writer-artist John Byrne, who developed a special affinity for Shulky, as she is uh, her nickname in, in, in lots of comics. And John Byrne ends up being, like, probably the most important creator to work on the character. Byrne, we've talked about an awful lot with some of our, our in our Phoenix shows, mm. uh, on the Phoenix saga, because John Byrne became, like, the most popular, the best-selling, and maybe the highest-paid comic book artist in the 70s by teaming up with Chris Claremont to transform the X-Men into Marvel's top-selling comic book for obscurity to the biggest thing in all of comics. And uh, he's one of the guys that championed Wolverine and helped launch that character into superstardom because everybody else did not really care about Wolverine. The character was probably going to be killed off and, and ditched. John Byrne left the X-Men and went on to write and draw the Fantastic Four for six years. Mm. One of the longest runs in, in comic books on a series. Um, and it is, that, that, that run, would bring, he brings in She-Hulk for three or four years. And it's, it's, he completely changes the Doctor Doom character. And it's hailed by critics as the second golden age of the Fantastic Four after Stanley and, and Jack Kirby in the, in the 60s. Byrne is then recruited by DC Comics to come in and completely reboot Superman. Oh. Um, they, they've already had Crisis on Infinite Earths, which completely ends the 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 timeline that DC have had yes. since the 30s. Yeah. They start with a brand new timeline in the 80s, modern retellings um, and updated versions of all their characters, and they recruit John Byrne to come in and give us um, the the modern interpretation of of, of Superman, which is a, a version of the character that lasts throughout the modern age, right up until like twenty, lasts for twenty five years. But then, when he returns to Marvel Comics in nineteen eighty nine, editor Mark Grunwald gets with John Byrne to create a bold new relaunch of She Hulk, and challenges Grunwald challenges John Byrne to come up with something completely different for the character something that had never been seen before. So the sensational She-Hulk launches in 1989 and brought us a snarky, sarcastic She-Hulk. Some of that personality was there in the Fantastic Four, mm. but it's it's increased an awful lot in, in her own title. A, a version of She-Hulk that knows that she exists in a comic book <laughs> and would address the reader directly yeah. and would even argue with the writers and editors of the comic. Um, another hallmark of Sensational She-Hulk, which did help make it popular, for better or worse, was how it made use of what, what is known as cheesecake poses. What is a cheesecake pose? You've heard of a beefcake, right? Oh, yeah. So glamour modelling, where... The subject is presented in kind of an overtly sexualized manner, sexualized mm. poses. With with women, it was it, the term erotic photography is not really applicable. Okay, because erotic sounds like you're nearly doing porn. Yeah, this is kind of 
and it, when it's when their attempts are made to make it kind of classy and the clothes are kept on, <laughs> but it's still it's still a little bit ooh sexual. That's generally called cheesecake. Oh. When the similar thing happens with men, it's known as beefcake. Oh, because they're showing off their muscles, objectification that way. Got it. Got it. All objectification, but of course we have to remember that objectification of men is never, ever, ever the same as objectification of women. Gotcha. Um, just just because I can feel certain people are going to come in and say, well, men are always uh, in superhero comics. They're always drawn with big muscles. It's not, it's not the, the same. same, dude. And you know it's not the same. Sit down. <laughs> so John Burns' She-Hulk is a character that has like an active dating life, mm. was presented as this kind of 80s, 90s, modern, sexually liberated, sex-positive modern woman. Albeit being written through the lens and perspective of an older man who might not really (laughs) grasp what feminism is. Or if he did, he's grasping what we might call the 90s post postmodern feminism and who knows if that's a good thing or not i have to say something here sorry to interrupt but when i was having a conversation with my brother about she hulk and uh, his wife stepped in and went oh i'm really i really love it i'm really enjoying it but how how come her hair is suddenly amazing when she's she hulk how come she looks amazing and i went because it's based on a comic and the original comic was written and drawn by a man (laughs) maybe yeah um so the thing I just talked about before Will <laughs> interjected, I have that sex positive, the modern women, and sexually liberated, mm. this had never been done before in a major DC or Marvel comic book. This portrayal of a lead female character as being um, independent, but independent in her... So possessing agency over her personal life, mm. that was truly groundbreaking. But by, by the end of the 80s, like women in superhero comics might have been able to take charge of fighting the bad guys and winning battles and saving the world. But the presentation of their personal lives was still wholly stunted yeah. by the fact it's the 80s and the 90s. Society as a whole was still like a world away from Sex and the City, Bridget mm-hmm. Jones, Ali McBeal, things that really changed pop culture and the public discourse and and public the way we viewed women's personal lives. So it was this odd thing of you could have like Wonder Woman be incredibly liberated as like a fighter and a hero, but she wouldn't be like what you might consider sex positive, sexually liberated in a personal life. Yeah. Because that's just, it was an old, old time and there weren't as many forthright writers in the game. They were all men. So, as part of this presentation of She-Hulk, sex positive, modern woman, John Byrne utilised a lot of cheesecake artwork, almost glamorised poses and artwork, both in the front covers and within the comic itself. Almost always drawing attention in a sarcastic way to exactly what was going on Mm. and presenting the sexual poses in a metafictional way. Right. Um, drawing attention to it and mocking it. So two issues tested the limits of the Comic Code Authority due to the sexualization of the of the artwork. Um, issue 34 of Sensational She-Hulk makes reference to, I think the front cover makes reference to a Vanity Fair cover 
where Demi Moore was nude and pregnant. Ah. And She-Hulk kind of copies that pose, but withholding a beach ball instead of a pregnant belly. Gotcha. Um, and that was went back and forth with the Comic Code Authority. And then issue 40, um, She-Hulk is depicted... Um, Jumping, skipping, jumping rope. Yes. Apparently, completely naked. Mm. With the in comic books, when you something moves very, very fast, you'll have blur lines to this. indicate it's moved very, very fast. So, if you're having someone skipping rope, there'll be blur right lines to indicate they're skipping rope. So, in this, it, it's it's apparently the presentation is that She-Hulk is completely nude, but with her breasts and genitals covered by the blur lines of the skip rope. Mm. Both these that ends up being a, not the case, and it's kind of slightly subverted. But is it really subverted for this? <laughs> and look, I'm not a smart dude. I turn to smart people. There's a project called the Sequential Scholars, um, a project by Dr. Andrew uh, Demon and Dr. Anna Peppard, and their whole project, which you can find on sequentialscholars.com, um, is to and they've got a Twitter is to make the academic study of comic books accessible to everyone, mm. and they speak very knowledgeably and intelligently about the cheesecake and the feminism presented or not presented in this really important landmark series. Sequential scholars wrote about this. The series' sexualization of its title character is is controversial and complicated. Sensational She-Hulk is a confident, sexually liberated career woman, not in spite of being big and green, but because of it. Transforming into She-Hulk helps Jennifer Walters reject patriarchal expectations designed to control women. She also offers self-reflexively critiques of the poses. Mm. Um, So we then get this, this shot as an example of She-Hulk in a swimsuit, I believe, lying down, luxuriating on on the panel and saying, you know, Bernie boy loves doing cheesecake shots of me, mostly because the readers don't mind if he scrimps on the backgrounds, as long as I'm doing something interesting in the foreground. And sure enough, there is nothing in the background. He has drawn no no building, no wall, no skyline, (laughs) nothing. He's just drawn a very attractive pose of She-Hulk. And that goes on to have another character say, but what about your female readership, She-Hulk? Isn't this the book that wives and girlfriends say they love to read, even if they don't normally read any comics at all? So that's a little snippet of drawing attention to it and doing it in a, in a, a different manner rather than just here's a pose. Scarsic scholars go on to say, but She-Hulk is not a real person. As such, her access to agency depends on the desires of the people creating and consuming her stories. From 89 to 94, she was written and drawn by men, and her stories were largely read by and marketed to men and boys. In other words, while She-Hulk's assertion of sexual agency was revolutionary within a genre that typically sidelines female desire, it is convenient that her expressions of sexuality prioritise the male gaze. Hmm. essentially her feminine the idea of projecting feminism is also hey look at me aren't i sexy yes which is something that men and boys love to look at 
In this context, we can ask whose fantasies does She-Hulk embody? Mm. This question is complicated by the fact that She-Hulk's discovery of liberation through self-objectification was a popular idea within the mainstream feminism of the 1990s, particularly with the cultural trend scholars commonly referred to as post-feminism. Yes. This is something I remember hugely from that time period. Like, to me, when I was younger, feminism kind of meant um, women, I guess... Dressing, being okay with dressing sexy and having men look at them, which was a very odd if you look back at it and think of it. But that seemed to be how it was portrayed in movies and TV shows and comic books. It's it's an odd one because I remember doing this in film studies and media studies back in the day, and we talked about like Laura Mulvey and the male gaze and whatnot. And then you hear about second wave feminism, third wave feminism. Then you realise that feminism as a whole isn't just one particular thing. It's actually a collective of different ideologies. Course, yeah. uh, and it, and it's, it's, it's incredible when you really get down to it and just think like, oh, and then some people think that you shouldn't be one of these things. You should be this. And it's, it's uh, caused quite a bit of debate amongst people who all are on the side of feminism, basically. The final word from the scholars, objectification is exceedingly complicated, Mm. as are its manifestations and effects, and there is certainly empowerment to be found in the sensational She-Hulk series. Yet there is also room to question who or what is the subject of each joke, Mm. and who or what is the object. Like, I, I was really drawn to what they were presenting here, like, just because John Byrne has snarky comments drawing attention to the fact that he's doing objectifying cheesecake pictures. Does that actually really subvert the fact that he's still drawing (laughs) sexy women for men and boys to drool over? I'm not sure it does. Like, I just wanted to make sure we had that in there because whilst I have very fond memories of Sensational She-Hulk, and Mm. whilst it does strongly influence um, some of the, uh, the direction of this TV series... I don't want to send people running in this direction and have them go, oh, God, what am I reading? What am I looking at here? Um, I think we want to make sure that we're uh, viewing everything through the right uh, lens. Yes. Um, John Byrne is a controversial figure. He had fallings out with editors twice on the series. He left after, like, the first year and then didn't come back to the series for a couple of years and then kept writing and drawing She-Hulk for a few more years and then left again um once he stopped his involvement with the series altogether i'd say all the kind of originality of the character really just stopped Mm. no more comedy no more comic book satire no more fourth wall breaking um and and probably a lot less controversial cheesecake poses Mm. she hook went back to being just another action-adventure character, smash yeah. things, fight things, and didn't really spark much interest in the public beyond her involvement in Avengers stories. And then in 2004, the creative team of Dan Slott and Juan Bobilo launched a new She-Hulk series, which returned the character to comedy, to superhero introkes, light-hearted, wacky soap opera stories. And I believe it's this series that is probably the biggest influence on the Disney Plus Marvel TV show. We love hearing from you guys. You can always drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. You can always find us on Twitter, 
at Marvel versus Will. Have you got a mailbag before you? Before me lies the mailbag. We've got quite a few in here talking about She-Hulk. Uh, King Kanuk wrote in to say, Rob, Will, greetings from Canada. First off, the MVM shirt fits great. I'm not one to post selfies on my account, but rest assured, it's all you hyped it up to be. Onto the show at hand, though. I don't have a huge amount of She-Hulk knowledge going into this. I was aware she was Bruce, uh, Bruce's cousin who had a blood transfusion. Uh, that was that she, uh, she was funny and fourth wall referential to the point of arguing with her editor about her own sexualization. And I was also aware she's been an Avenger as well as been on the Fantastic Four. All that said, I've been really enjoying the show so far. Situations such as being catfished by a light elf. Drop, uh, dropout sorcerers causing mayhem, street thugs who mugged a magical construction worker. It all makes the MCU finally feel like a real world to me. It's just the kind of place where these things happen now and we don't need to dedicate entire solo films to establishing slightly weirder concepts to the masses. My big theory for the end of the season, and this is right after episode 5, is that Hulk's message from Sakaar is none other than his son Scar who seeks aid in deposing the Red King, the new ruler, after the Grand Master's dethroning. That's all from me, though, for Will. How many people do you think there are in the Marvel Universe who could be considered a Hulk, i.e. hero villain mutated by Gamma? Cheers. Well, thank you uh, for getting to us, King Canuck. That's a bold, bold prediction. Um, I, I, I don't know. I have, I have a feeling it's probably just more of... Uh, I don't know, Hulk going off to have adventures with Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, it would be interesting, that, though, because I completely forgot about him sodding off in a spaceship at the end of the mm. first episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, what about his, his question, which is... How many... I mean, ga- I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able to answer it. There's a, how many characters do you think have been gammered uh, and become Hulks? I have a feeling in the this comics? is a, supposed to be a question for you. Hey, let's ask the idiot a question. <laughs> I think he wants, uh, yeah, I no, I think he wants you to answer it and then me to go, actually, it's blabble. It just reminded me of a quick thing. When I was doing my final show at Edinburgh, I had my mate Gary Knightley, who likes to really rip, rip the hell out of me. Uh, he said, oh, I'll help you flyering. It's fine. We walked past Stuart Lee down the street at one point and he started flying yelling out what come see one half of marvel versus marvel not the clever one though it's the idiot <laughs> <laughs> i like that yeah i like that um, um i'm gonna go with uh, a really boring answer and just go two these are the only two well actually no three emil blonsky as well it's just it's it's loads it's loads mr it? leader oh god um, well, he's and back, then apparently. we get it does get a bit silly because then you start to get um, Red Hulk, Red She Hulk. You get another Grey Hulk. You get Rick Jones becoming um, a Hulk that's called something dumb like Mega A Bomb or something. It's it's just loads. It's it's too many. It's far too many. Um, who else you got in the mailbag? Cody. Cody said I'm enjoying the show so far that being said I think it falls short in its storytelling I'm not sure what this is supposed to be about I know it's built it's a comedy it's It's a comedy Cody it's a comedy it's a knockabout soap opera comedy (laughs) I know it's built as a comedy but if it doesn't exactly feel like one you're wrong (laughs) 
He's so lovely. Don't do this. It's not exactly an, an accent-orientated show, nor does it... No, you're right. It's not. It's a comedy, nor does Cody. It it's a seems... comedy show. I'll get through this lesser by the end of the day. Nor does it seem to have a serial arc just yet. It's an... No, it doesn't. It's a comedy, Cody. It's a comedy. It's an upper-tier Marvel show to me, but, but uh, were it not for my general Marvel fandom, I'm not sure... Uh, I'd like any of the Disney Plus shows. As for, as for the fall fall breaking, I don't think it fits what the show is. Whoa, whoa, whoa! If it's not for my m- general Marvel fandom, I'm not sure I'd like any of the Disney Plus shows. Wow! I I mean that's fair oh, enough. Man. You know, you know, they're, they're not for everyone, I guess. I don't think I, I can't. I I don't. I don't. I'm I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Um interpret that. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's Cody saying. If I didn't already like these characters because of the comics i'm not sure i would watch them or i'm not sure are you saying you wouldn't you don't enjoy i don't know what you're trying to say here buddy are you saying you don't enjoy these shows and you only watch them because they're about characters that you have a fondness for but you don't like them or are you kind of saying that i don't know they don't have a lot of star power because they're they're not top tier characters. I'd like to know more, Cody. I'd like to know more. I'd like to know more. Please. I, yeah. I don't think it fits what the show is, whatever the, in fact it wants to be. It's a hard device to use well, and it's used in a mediocre to poor fashion. It just falls short, or even worse, takes you out of the story. I want to love these Marvel shows, but for the moment, I just accept them. That's oh, wow. It sounds like he does not like these Marvel shows. Yeah, that's, that's, that's more That's about a shame, Cody. That's a, that's a sh- I mean, I'm enjoying them. I mean, there have been points where I'm like, I haven't enjoyed some as much as I thought I would, but that's fair. Eric Cotton. I, I, for me, they've been the most exciting thing about Marvel since Endgame. Yeah. They've expanded the universe. They've created all these different... I just, I think I like the television experience way more than a movie experience in general they've beat and they've especially beaten phase when it, four for me definitely and especially when it comes to like marvel which is ongoing stuff i it's frustrating to go watch a two-hour movie and then have to wait months and months and months and months and then the next one isn't connected mm. um so i i for me this has been like that might be the best thing about. I think they might. I just. I've. I've loved every every uh, show. Every. I now can't and think a, of a show that. Every now and again, like the last uh, last couple of years, I keep more so this year. I keep seeing talking with friends and people I know, and they go, uh, "I don't know. I'm kind of done with everything after Endgame, and I can't catch up, and oh, it's too much." And I'm there going, "I, I don't care. I'm in it for the long run. I. I. I am. I am solely subscribed." And I, I, I think it's going to take a, a lot for me to stop watching all of this. I think, I think um, people have like, I think people in general, outside of, of comic books and stuff, I think they, they don't like ongoing narratives. I understand. They that. want things yeah. to be over. They want things to be over. But I think this will all change when we start when the the the, the the Kang stuff really starts to kick in and we get our next big um, arc I am, starts to kick in. I am really holding my breath with that because this is a moment where we've gone through so much leading up to Endgame and everything. And, and I'm there going, I don't know if it can beat it or not. I uh, I, I want to see... It doesn't have it. to beat it. It doesn't have to beat it. Everything... No, it's not. No, it's not. No, stories are not in competition with each other. That's not how stories work. Uh... Okay, I'm looking forward to it all the same. Anyway, Eric Cotton likes it. I'm enjoying the show so far. <laughs> that being said, I think it falls short in its storytelling. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be about. Oh, wait a minute. It's a comedy. 
Have I just... I think you've just repeated it. Oh, that's uh, that's really Now, who me. actually wrote this? Was it Cody or was it Eric? Oh, just a second. <laughs> oh. Well, apologies to whoever whoever we've missed out here. Um, we'll send uh, we'll send Will to the woodshed. Oh, please do. Uh, uh, there's been an error with Patreon. I've, I'm looking at the emails. Uh, I'm just going to get this and see if I can find... This is the first time this has happened. Well, we've got... Uh, we normally like to have all your uh, communiques sent to us um, via uh, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. But, of course, some of, of our top-tier oh. subscribers <laughs> like to drop us a line through a Patreon and oh. get in touch with us that way. You're gonna... uh, that's something you can do as well. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. You're going to give me a signal if I, you want me to keep vamping? Or no, have you, 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 are you, you, you settled? vamped enough. I uh, found the okay. issue. That previous letter I read was actually Eric Cotton who said that. I didn't think it sounded like Cody. That did not sound like my, Cody. My darling boy, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that didn't sound like my precious, precious Cody. Oh. I knew it was the evil Eric Cotton. We- <laughs> the evil Eric what did Cotton. Co- so uh, everything I said about Cody is attributed to Eric Cotton. What did my special boy say? We, we like you, Eric Cotton, we do, but we just agree- disagree with some of the stuff you said. No, you just you turned heel on us. This was like a wrestling match, <laughs> and you turned heel. He turned heel on us via the medium of She-Hulk. Do you know what I'm going to do with the next mailbag? I'm just going to read out the letter and you have to guess who it is. <laughs> who it's from. So, what did Cody say? And I, I don't want to see you U-turn when you find out who it was. <laughs> Cody actually said... I don't have favourites. I don't have favourites apart from Cody. Uh, I've re- Cody said, I've really enjoyed the show. It's been funny. And it's kind there of... There we <laughs> see. See. See the world of difference between them. I knew Cody liked this show. <laughs> says to me it's like hey we love hearing what you have to say but only if we agree with it <laughs> that's the human condition that's called social media marvel versus marvel versus the rest of their fan base <laughs> let's get back to uh our, our favorite our oh, favorite this what did cody say you know you know when it's funny when stuff goes wrong this is the best thing that's ever gone wrong i know they have been doing different genres recently and i've enjoyed all of that but this genre or type of show whatever you may call it has been the best they explored so far in my opinion look at this the fourth wall breaking has been pretty cool i feel like it works really well and it doesn't feel like a deadpool fourth wall break i don't know if i could explain how they feel different they just do to me overall don't know if i could surpass one if it could surpass one division is my favorite show so far but it's pretty high up there on my list as always uh, enjoying the content you guys put out what a letter. What a letter from Cody. <laughs> don't worry, Eric Cotton. We value you as well. Please don't unsubscribe. Just, the thing is, Eric, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how, how much I like people disagreeing with me on my podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should give you a, a section called Alternative Views with Eric. Or as my, um, uh, my, my uh, mate Tommy Etling likes to say, every time he says something contradictive, he just punctuations with other opinions are also available <laughs> but eric's not alone in in not enjoying this show no we, we've got something else haven't we we've got one from uh, daniel carson here who wasn't a big fan of the show he said i really wanted to like the tv show because i like the books the show is horrible such bad cgi and is just awful titania is a really good actor and and shows uh, 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 deserves a great series but this is not it Lots more misses than hits for Marvel of late in the shows and movies. 
Movies, yeah, there have been some misses, I think. They're, phase four has been... The, it feels like, the, even though it's the fourth phase, it does feel like the difficult it's, second it's album. Only, it's only Shang-Chi, that was, for me, that's been that's been not not a lot of fun. See, it was Eternals for me, which is why I'm really looking forward so that's just, to it. But that's just one. Yeah. That's just one thing. <laughs> well, Thor, I was a bit like, yeah, seven out of ten, it's all right. And, the, uh, and Spider-Man and uh, Black Widow wasn't too keen on. But Spider-Man and Doctor Strange adored. I think, I think Black Widow is just odd. I think Black Widow was lots of fun. And I think it was kind of odd in that it, it came out in this weird period of time where we were still... <laughs> like, like we, you, it was very difficult to go and see it at the cinema. Um, it came out on streaming. I don't think it came out. It did, didn't come out at all at the cinema, no, did it? No, no. That, 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 that closed. And we were all still in lockdown and kind of messed up from lockdown. I, I think it would have been a hard one. But I think everything else has been locked... Again, referring to my film studies, uh, de- uh, not degree, uh, A level. This is what we refer to as conditions of reception. I um, I don't know. I I think, <clears throat> I think when you hear from people right after No Way Home, mm. everyone's loving Marvel Phase Four, isn't it great? Yep. And then you hear from them after one thing they don't <laughs> like, and it's like, um, oh, actually, I think the whole. Phase is in trouble. That's human um, behavior. We all this listen. So, yeah. I, 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 being a plugged-in wrestling fan, mm. it's, it happens week after week with wrestling. When there's a bad TV show, everyone's like, "They're in trouble. The whole company's falling apart." The next week, it's a good one, and it's like these guys know what they're doing. This company is going far, but, and it's just you know. It reminds me of whatever convers- the last thing you saw. It reminds me of a conversation we had where I was really down about comedy. And I was like, oh, I might just tear everything down or just quit comedy. And then you, we had, I had a chat with you and you had the most helpful advice. You said, yeah, like, audiences are scum. <laughs> audiences are terrible people. They, they're the worst thing about comedy. They're the worst thing about comedy. Worst thing, but please come to my shows. Uh, but the other thing is, it's like you said these words to me and that have resonated with me. And if anybody out there is doing comedy or doing anything where you're anything. Ju- ju- judging your success, you said to me, don't, don't uh, get pissed off. Sorry, don't get. Uh, bowled over by a bad week worry when it's a bad quarter and i'm immediately was like oh i see it now i totally understand this and everything's up and down quarters not weeks is really important like as a freelancer um i never know what i'm gonna make month to month really and a huge amount like it's always the, the 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 thing that you always hear from freelancers whether they're builders whether they're carpenters whether they're creative stuff or, or or actors or musicians or whatever is it's feast or famine if you go by i had a really bad month and think everything's over mm. well then you'll you probably can't get by in it because i might i might have a, a crap month of not making great money and then have two amazing months. Yeah. Well, did I actually have two amazing months? Actually, no. When you even it all out, the crap months and the good months, it just is a flat line. <laughs> and it's exactly, it used to be the same in the pub trade. The pub trade, you'd be absolutely dead and then have an amazing weekend. And you go, if I take all the extra money from the weekend mm. and spread it out over all the dead days, we just had exactly the same business as every week. So it doesn't look chaotically <laughs> going up and down. It's just a little up or down flat line. line. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I hope to improve a lot of comedy. But anyway, final letter. Zach Thomas. Is- Are you sure it's Zach Thomas? 
I'll, you know what? I'll let you know if it's Zach Thomas. Go I'll, ahead. I'll, let's see if it is Zach Thomas. <laughs> I'm enjoying the show so far, but that being said, I think it falls short in its storytelling. No, that's not. I was rereading that letter again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think the show is getting more hate than it deserves, says Zach. Yeah, this is a genuine, bona fide Zach Thomas. I'd know that uh, penmanship anywhere. Carry on. It's She Hulk. It's going to be wacky and goofy. The comedy is delightful and it accurately portrays the life of a woman in modern society. I enjoy the cameos from Wong and Madison with one <laughs> with one eye and two ends, but not where you'd think. And she was <laughs> she was hilarious. I have to say, with Madison, it's like yeah, it was great. It was really good, and the, the community really likes her. But I'm at this thing with these little one-off characters. I'm sort of holding my breath, going please don't overuse her because then you start to dislike them and you forget why they were good in the first place. It's happened with the Simpsons and so many other things, but I, re- but it was such, well, she's not, she's not come back in anything. So don't worry. Calm down. Well, the fans are like, you remind me, you remind me that no, this is your, your, your too much time in these, in these zones. Like you don't, once you've finished watching a TV show, mm. you don't want to hear or see anything else about it. <laughs> I really should get into that mindset. Anyway, the story isn't my favourite uh, as of episode five, and I wish it was a bit more engaging, but it makes up for for it with the silly characters and comedy. I look forward to watching every episode with my partner. I think it's important for young Marvel fans to have a strong female role model to watch and enjoy, and She-Hulk does a great job at doing it. Thank you for getting in touch, Zach. I have to say, you know, I... I, I, I these people who say it doesn't have a strong dramatic or strong story, they're absolutely 100% right. Mm. I just don't think it's important for this show. Um, it- and because of that, I think it is a show mm. that I will go back and watch again. I'll probably go back and binge this when we've got closer to the end because it's fun, it's short, it's like watching a sitcom. I binge sitcoms way more than I do dramatic shows because with a dramatic show... There's a lot more level of concentration yes. and focusing, and you've got to kind of, oh, do I want to start this season-long arc and commit to it? Or do I want to watch that fun couple of episodes and I'll pick it up in a couple of days or whatever? Um, everything is a little bit different. Mm. Speaking of being a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Over on our Patreon um, is where we really do a lot of different things. Look, guys... We hear from some amazing people. We got, I, you know what? I didn't put it in the mailbag. We got a letter from this person who talked about um, they've got the job. They work in a, uh, a, a like a, a a British bodega, a petrol station, um, and they work all <laughs> night long, right, on their own, all night long. They work this shift. Get this: it is from ten at night Ooh. until seven in the morning. Ooh. It is a brutal shift. They are all alone. The people that come in and use the twenty four hour they're not they're not cool people, they're not good people, they're not fun people. This this guy whose name escapes me, it started with a J or something. <laughs> if you're out there, I will find I'll I'll do a proper attribute in maybe the next episode. Right? This this guy, we get him through those late night shifts mm. when he's all alone. When he can't watch TV and you know, he doesn't want to watch rubbishy things on his phone. He wants he wants a meal. He doesn't want he doesn't want snacks. He can't snack all the way through that shift. He'd make his tummy poorly and he'd be sick. He needs a proper meal. Real meals to get him through. And that's when he comes to Marvel versus Marvel for our big, digestible, meaty episodes. 
He's listened to everything. What do you think he does when he's listened to everything, Will? Yeah, he can go back yeah. and he can revisit things. But he wants to know more about Spider-Man. He wants to know more about the Avengers. He wants to know more about Wolverine and the X-Men. He's just signed up to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. And he's getting himself these bigger episodes that get him through. But, but more importantly than that, he is supporting this show. Podcasts, YouTube channels, they go dark because people don't engage, don't support. At the end of the day, guys, there's a lot of you out there who are not pulling your weight, that are not doing <laughs> what needs to be done, that aren't doing the right thing. Mm. And 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 in many ways, in many ways, I'm going to go right wing here. Woo, boy! In many ways, you're a drain on society. <laughs> <laughs> you're leeching off the hard work of others. You know, I mean... I don't want to say those people coming over here and taking our episodes for free, and giving oh, nothing no. back, nothing back into the community. But you're out there, and you know you're out there, yeah, you can't and you're see being it. supported by an upper echelon, an upper echelon pulling way more weight than they should be than your weight being pulled by other people in this community. I'm talking about Peter J, Mikey W. Brandon Schmigielski, I'm talking about Randall Schmidt, I'm talking about George Bingham, I'm talking about Zach Thomas, Bastabeer, Sam, and Bindi. Those guys give the most it's possible to give on Patreon. They support us in incredible ways, and we give back to them as much as we can. We just did a live, uh, not live, we just did an exclusive video show just mm. for... Those guys at the Do The Right Thing team, didn't we, Will? We did, um, we did. We only release video content for the top, top, top subscribers on Patreon. Um, everybody else doesn't get to see our faces. You only get to hear the voices. Um, and that was a show we did all about Thor, mm. um, Ragnarok. Uh, no, not Ragnarok, Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder, yeah. And it was all about Sandman, the, uh, the Netflix series. Um, me and Will are frequently, infrequently putting together video exclusives when we've uh, consumed more comic book content that is out there for people to get their holds of. And those guys that hold it all together, they do the most and they get the most. But that's not just the only, you know, you don't, have to, you, don't, you don't only contribute at a top, top level. You can come in at just three English Brexit pounds. <laughs> and hey, let's not forget, the pound is falling dramatically. It's getting cheaper and cheaper to support this show. <laughs> it's not long before, you know, it will cost, uh, uh, you know, absolutely nothing if you're outside this country to support us. But for three Brexit pounds, you guys can support Marvel versus Marvel on Patreon. You can support all the things that we do. In exchange, you'll get a bonus episode every single month called Obscure Marvel, where me and Will uh, look at the most ridiculous events, characters, and stories in the history of the Marvel Universe. Um, the uh, the month of September, we looked at Spider-Man on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, Spider-Man meeting Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, John Belushi, um, and fighting a teleporting mutant samurai. Um, it's a <laughs> Hell of an episode. Um, the Muppets are in there as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and above that, 
at the five pound level you can get i mean everyone gets access to obscure marvel if you support us we support you you get obscure marvel everyone does you can go slightly above that you could contribute five pounds a month you can get obscure marvel and early access to every single show that means you get access every friday and you three days ahead of the general release i don't know of any other podcast that does early release that early I know of 24-hour early release. You you must have come across that, Will. I mean, it's an awful lot of the Patreon mm. podcasts. They do 24-hour early release. Maybe some do 48 hours. I don't know of anyone doing three <laughs> days, baby. Um, and that's what we give those people. They get three. That means, that means you have digested it all, formed an opinion, and written us a letter before the rest of the world has even heard the show. Above that, the ten pound tier, the that makes you a a VIEP of this show. That means you're plugged in. That means you contribute. You're a very very important executive producer of the series. And in exchange for that level of support, you guys get access to full length bonus shows every single month. The full-length bonus shows are when we will dive into a story and run through a full Marvel story. Sometimes we go behind the page. Sometimes we don't have time. And this month in September, uh, Will, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. We took a look at Ultimate Spider-Man. Yes, yes. A a, a bold new retelling of the Spider-Man story. We went behind the page and looked at how it came about and essentially kind of changed comic books and changed the dialogue, uh, the way people spoke in it it kind of saved spider-man and how like thoughts feelings reactions about that about that episode it was it was just a, a great episode i mean obviously it, it it was the whole idea was it was comparing the amazing spider-man film and the original spider-man film against pretty much what their source material was and it was just I mean, such yeah. an amazing retelling I mean, to just go go through this and go, okay, we're going to take all the beats. We might make some interesting changes here. But I, 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 I've I, seen quite a few origin stories like in film and stuff, but this felt even stronger than any origin superhero story I've ever seen in film. We said that this Ultimate Spider-Man series, it created the blueprint for how to make any, mar- any superhero story. Mm. The, the blueprint of how do we condense decades of characters and events and stories and how do we pick out the things we want to include and how do we update it was all there and you got to hear how dialogue changed as well the dialogue of 1999 before this series came out and that was very you know typically comic booky wasn't it yeah very and then we had the more natural dialogue that was introduced by this writer oh, absolutely um it's a hell it's a hell of an episode it's one of our best that's available right now if you are at the VIEP tier or above next month i said there'd be an announcement next month the spooktober month of <laughs> halloween we're going to look at the most gruesome story we've ever ever looked at on this podcast robert kirkman the creator of The Walking Dead Ooh. takes on the Marvel Universe. Next month, October, bonus episode is going to be Marvel Zombies, and it's going to be a corker. 
Everyone that supports us does the right thing. We support you and give back as much as we can. Head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Cleanse your soul. Make up for your past crimes. Audio theft. Stealing thoughts from our minds and words from our mouths. Make up for it. By supporting us like you know you should be, you know you're guilty of not doing it, you can cleanse yourself by heading to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Will, I know that you have put together some um, some questions that I've uh, taken a look at for, uh, for about this She-Hulk series. Questions that have arisen um, from watching this great series that we both enjoyed. Um, so, uh, yeah, d- dive in. What do you want to know? Again, as we've said all the way throughout this, I think there will be mild spoilers ahead. Yeah, there will be uh, mild spoilers. <coughs> I think the first question... The most important one, and that's uh, Jennifer's relation to Bruce Banner. Is she, is she related to to him in the comics, and how does she get her powers? Is it through a, a blood transfusion or something similar? She's shot by the mob. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so Savage She-Hulk starts with Bruce Banner staggering around in Los Angeles on the run. This is back in the days when, like, nobody knows who the hulk is mm. bruce banner's a wanted man by the army but his identity is under wraps and he's on the run and he's staggering around and he's in los angeles and he's like i can't take it anymore i have to go and i have to i need help i have to sort myself out and he's at this law office and he's like i need to confide in someone i'm gonna confide in someone i haven't seen since she was just a little girl and now she's a hot shot criminal lawyer and he does indeed meet his cousin, Jennifer Walters, a criminal lawyer in Los Angeles. Uh, you know it's the 70s when Marvel stories take place in Los Angeles. <laughs> the uh, Ghost Rider's over there. The Champions are over there. The Hulk is frequently over there. Um, uh, he, he Jennifer weirdly calls him Doc, yeah. Instead of like Bruce, that's like oh my, her, my nickname for my cousin is Doc, and he he can for the first time like he, I think to anybody he confesses to her that I am secretly the Hulk. I keep transforming. He he tells her his whole history, the the, the gamma bomb explosion and all of that. And uh, Jen um, is says I don't I don't I can't remember how she, I don't know if she says I'm going to help you, but she's just like oh that's sad. Um, but she <laughs> is is uh got a lot going on because she is defending a a hood a mobster by the name of Monkton who is accused of killing someone that works for a, a violent gangster called Nick Trask um and Jennifer's like he he's a he's like Monkton's a bad guy but he's been framed for this murder Nick Trask um, Nick Trask not relation to Bolivar Bolivar no no relation to Bolivar Why Trask you say it like that um Bolivar is a fun name. I thought you were doing an Alan Rickman impression. <laughs> I'm not Bolivar. No, nope. it's just a fun way of saying Bolivar. Bolivar. It, um, then Jen, there's suddenly she's shot down by the mob, shot in the back by the by the by the mob, um, and uh, one of the thugs gets out to finish her off, saying, "Trask said we need to make sure the broad's dead." Bruce Banner tries to save his cousin. How do you think he tries to save his cousin? 
I don't know, uh, takes her to the hospital. He's got to he's got to fight off these bad guys first. The, oh, the guys sorry, I thought, to the, death. Um, does he transform in the Hulk? Punch him and no, it? he doesn't. He gets a hose and sprays them with water. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this if I spray him enough, they'll soon be sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> he gets their eyes, and the mops is like, ah, water in my eyes. <laughs> hey, Tone, he's spraying us with the hose. What are you supposed to do? Oh. And by, by, as they're blinded by water in the eyes, Bruce, like, picks up his cousin, who's bleeding heavily, and runs away. And the mops is like, I'll sh- I can't shoot straight. I got water in my eyes. <laughs> I lost my shoe. <laughs> Uh, Jen is bleeding out and Bruce um, is like uh, there's no way I can an ambulance is not going to get here in time I have to save your life right now you need a blood transfusion so he breaks into a closed doctor's office grabs the equipment and um, gives her without there's not even any concern about his blood his gamma irradiated blood he's just like this will do the trick here you go um and uh yeah and that's it then the uh jen is is saved but the police and the ambulances arrive to 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 take her to hospital and to investigate the shooting so bruce banner has to flee and leave her there um and in hospital trask's mobsters return to finish jen off and that's when she transforms into a giant green woman um and someone says something like, she's becoming some sort of a She-Hulk. Um, and that's how she gets the name. <laughs> Look, it's just as stupid in the TV show, and they kind of draw attention to it. Yeah, I, to it. I get that. I get that. Um, and she, she, she like, the, the bad guys run away, and she goes rampaging through the hospital. Uh, and as the bad guys try to escape, she rips a lamppost out of the ground mm. and throws it through the car, like destroying the engine, grabs one of the thugs and is like shaking him, and he's begging for his life, and he confesses to everything. Just just confesses to, fra- to trying to murder Jennifer Walters and framing jennifer's client and he's as he's done this jennifer like she hulk sorry looks around and is like oh there's a policeman you heard you all heard him confess case closed <laughs> um and indeed that is the end of the case the policeman was like yep there's nothing wrong with that evidence he just gave <laughs> whilst being attacked by a giant monster Someone, know. one of the other cops is like we gotta arrest her too boss and the, the cop is like there's nothing being green is not against the law let's move on (laughs) no she just ripped a lamppost off and threw it through a car and shook a man until he confessed to her i think she needs that that's assault definitely anyway that's not an issue in the 70s so um yeah she she goes she kind of transforms back and jennifer walters when no one's looking and she has a secret identity and she's like ah bruce's blood probably did it um Mm. and she she's like yeah, I, I guess I have to live like this now, and uh, whatever happen, whatever Jennifer Walters can't handle, I guess the She-Hulk will do. Excellent. So this is the thing that, that, that makes her different from the Hulk. Like in the TV series, Jennifer is in control of becoming the Hulk and retains her intelligence when she's green. Is that from the original stories, or is she a bit more Hulky? As in, she pretty much. I mean, from right from the start, mm. she she always retains her her general intelligence as mm. She-Hulk, enough to speak full sentences which the Hulk can't, and kind of reason and stuff like that. And to begin with, she is a bit more like the original Hulk, in that she's she's 
she roars and she goes on rages and mm. the series is called how of course the savage she hulk so um that's a part of it but um she also does ch- turn into the she hulk whenever she's angry and mad so she doesn't have control over that for the first year okay. and then by issue 12 Jennifer Walters is defending Morbius the Living Vampire <laughs> for all of the murders that he's definitely committed. Oh god. <laughs> and 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 she's like you can't prosecute him for an illness and they're like ah oh, that's a good point. Let's set him for it. No, oh. they, he, he he is convicted of m- multiple manslaughters, but not murders. The Morbius defense—that's um, what. He did. <laughs> um, and and during that adventure, Morbius, like being an expert with blood, cures Jennifer of a of a a, a blood disease illness thing, and like that's what has been causing her uncontrollable transformations, anger-related ones. Mm. So Morbius cures her of that, and from that point on, she's able to turn into the She-Hulk at will. And this essentially ends any notion of the She-Hulk being a curse, like it is for Bruce. Because from that point on, like a year into her creation, She-Hulk can control whenever she she completely decide when to be She-Hulk, when not to be She-Hulk, and she's more and more in control when she is She-Hulk, because she's not angry when she becomes the She-Hulk. Mm. So she doesn't have those rages, um, and and then pretty quickly uh, she joins the Avengers, and at that stage Jen is very comfortable with being the She Hulk. Um, during during when when she's part of the Fantastic Four, during an adventure there she's exposed to more radiation or whatever, and she loses the ability then to turn back into Jennifer Walters. Oh. And Reed Richards, like, brings her into the room, and, yeah. and like, we haven't seen Jennifer Walters in ages anyway, but he brings her into this lab, and he's like, I'm afraid I've got some terrible news. I've been going over your scans, and She-Hulk, I'm afraid I have to say, you'll never be able to turn back into Jennifer Walters ever again. <laughs> and there's a whole panel of silence, and she looks at Reed Richards, and the next one, the next panel, she goes... And <laughs> she is not bothered at all. <laughs> she does not care. She has no interest in being her old self and being Jennifer Walters again. Mm. She's been chosen to be She-Hulk pretty much 24-7 anyway. Yeah. So from that point on, she abandons her secret identity. There's no point having it anymore. She lets the world know that Jennifer Walters is the She-Hulk 24-7. It's, she doesn't have to protect herself um, I think Bruce is her only family, so she's she's kind of cool with it all. That, um, that is there, convenient. Absolutely, yeah. There have been times when Jennifer has lost control. Mm. So during the Avengers Disassembled storyline that we've covered, um, she was exposed to great levels of, of, of new radiations, which caused her to lose her mind and lose control completely, and and that led to her killing the Vision. Um, and then going on a big rampage, and the Avengers had to track her down and stop her, and that was a a, a real Hulk moment. And quite recently, in quite recent comics, um, Jennifer Walters was irradiated by a celestial, um, and this 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 radiation increased the power levels, um, and she was then sufficiently powered up, like making her bulky. Um, much more muscular. Basically, kind of her Hulk form looked a lot more like Bruce Banner's mm. Hulk, 
and she was savage once again like there was she would go into rages and anger and all of that um and that lasted for several years it's just recently come to an end in 2022 and she has basically returned to her most common form which is completely in control can change at will um and and uh, yeah and complete perfectly intelligent in in both forms excellent how strong is she in the comics because it 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 looks like she might be stronger than bruce in the first episode but you never really know oh is that right yeah i suppose so yeah i hadn't thought of that yeah i remember that now um she is presented in the comics as unlike like the other hulks in the marvel universe Mm. like um the many hulks the dozens of hulks Hulks, i don't know like like abomination um uh, a bomb the red hulks and stuff mm. uh, jennifer was not irradiated directly with gamma mm. she receives it almost secondhand through bruce's blood so it she gains some of that hulk power but it's only like a portion of it mm. is how it's presented but she's still easily one of the strongest characters in the marvel universe like reg, what I would call the most common version of She-Hulk, regular She-Hulk. Mm. She is stronger than like Spider-Man, Iron Man, the Thing. She's stronger than Hercules. Um, she she may be up there, just just underneath Thor, probably. Um, yeah, and she she did work out at some point in the mid two thousands that the stronger she gets as Jessica Walters, the stronger she becomes as the She-Hulk. Okay. So if she works out and, and and clangs and bangs on weights as Jennifer Walters, her She-Hulk form is even stronger. So oh, she starts doing that. Very good. But the one thing holding her back, really, is that Hulks derive their strength from rage. Mm. The the angrier Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets. Is the is the is the common phrase used in the comics, and that strength is almost exponential, especially with Bruce Banner. We saw that when we covered World War Hulk and he nearly destroyed a planet. Oh, God, um, yes. Regular She-Hulk, she has control of herself. She's not raging. She's not angry. She's not prone to that kind of thing. And so that itself seems to limit her strength. Um, she's not raging and thus tapping into that extra Hulk strength that they all have. Now, when she has received these kind of periods of, of extra radiation and stuff, it's it's a different story. Because when she's exposed to radiation, then she's more similar to Abomination and, and, and Bruce and stuff. That version of She-Hulk, the, the, the most recent one, is noticeably, as I said, bigger and bulkier. And, and much, much more stronger than kind of regular She-Hulk. And this version is prone to rages. And... Is it's probably reasonable to assume that this version of She-Hulk is just as strong as the Hulk. So it's a case by case matter. I thought um, it would be that. Yeah, I take it she's also a lawyer in the comic books, isn't she? We've kind of discussed that she's definitely a lawyer in the comic books. This is not something Disney have invented. Have you enjoyed that aspect of the show? Yes, because uh, this year I went through all five seasons of Boston Legal which is like a comedy drama courtroom thing with William Shatner and James Spader. Yeah. So I'm getting, obviously I think it's supposed to be more like Ally McBeal, but I'm getting, getting aspects of that too. So she, she, um, yeah, she is a, a lawyer when she's first introduced in the seventies, mm. but then I, 
very quickly quits that to become a full-time superhero and Avenger. Yeah. And then in 2004, when Dan Slott, who I've talked about an awful lot as a great writer of Spider-Man, when he um, puts this pitch together to write the She-Hulk, we've got some of the pitch here. He pitched to Marvel, think Ali McBeal with muscles. (laughs) A superhero lawyer tackles the bizarre legal problems of a comic book world by day. By night, she deals with the dating dilemmas of being an SGF, a single green female. (laughs) Story arcs would focus on specific cases with comic book logic twists. Can a ghost testify at his own murder trial? Would a criminal's confession be thrown out because he was tied up with a magical truth-telling lasso that's a wonder woman reference Hmm. is keeping a secret identity from one's spouse grounds for divorce to me this was um a lot took a lot of inspiration i think or influence i think not inspiration but i think influence there from the uh, powers series that brian michael bendis and mike oming had introduced i think in the year 2000 just like four years before this which was doing a procedural cop story in a world of super villain, uh, superheroes and mm. supervillains, and how would that play out day to day? Theirs is not a funny take on it. For example, in the first issue, um, a, a superhero called Retro Girl dies, a suit, like a Supergirl type character dies, and the cops go to the morgue to talk to the coroner, and the coroner is like flipping out. He's like, <laughs> You don't understand what my life is like. I can't pierce her skin. I don't know how to do an autopsy. Yesterday, there was a monkey in an astronaut suit with a with a ray gun. Is it a real monkey? Is it a mutant? I don't know what's happening. And like that kind of, I I really like that that element of, you know, mm. I don't want it to be particularly serious, but I like all those introductions of it. So yeah, Dan Slot series uh, positions um, <clears throat> Jen Walters at. The uh, the the offices of Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway, who we have in this series. That's the law firm she works for, Manhattan-based um, legal firm that specialises in superhuman law. She's headhunted to work there, and in a reverse of what we see in this TV series, Jennifer, who has spent decade in in the comic book storyline, she spent the majority of her life as She-Hulk. She's headhunted by this legal firm on the condition that. She does so and practices law as Jennifer Walters, not She-Hulk. So, for the first time in years, this comic book series is like you have to turn back into Jennifer Walters. Mm. Whereas in the TV show, it's the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, because they say yeah. we don't want you, we want. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now, Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway um, is a a very Dan Slot reference. Um, Goodman. Uh, Martin Goodman was the first publisher of Marvel Comics. Lieber is Stan Lee's birth name, Stanley Lieber. Kurtzberg is Jack Kirby's birth name. He was born Jacob Kurtzberg. So the law firm is essentially Martin Goodman, Stan Lee, and Jack Kirby. And then the fictional character, Holloway. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the cases are really... F- I've got a smattering of the cases. Oh, that I want to hear this. I want to hear this. brought in. So... Um, She-Hulk represented a company called Paxton who were being sued for endangering local uh, local citizens by inappropriately storing um, vibranium. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, 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 the case was uh, initially won by 
uh, Jennifer Walters. The judge later ruled a mistrial due to Walters saving everyone as She-Hulk and thereby giving her undue leverage over the jury. So that was overturned. So that was when. So what happens is mm. uh, Jennifer Walters is an assistant district attorney, like she is in the TV show here. Yeah, yeah. She wins the case. But then um, the law firm, the law firm uh, Goodman, uh, uh, Lieber, and Kurtzberg have the case overturned because you and the Avengers saved the world last week, so the jury were influenced. <laughs> so we got it turned over, and then they say you're never going to be able to like escape that. Come and work for us and defend people. Uh, Danger Man versus Roxxon Corporation. Mm. Um, after falling into a vat of hard atomic water and gaining radioactive powers, Dan Germain became Danger Man. Oh. Dan Germain, Danger Man. Oh, Isn't that God, good? I just got that horrible. Unfortunately, these powers were a burden. Citing the Jean Grey precedent, Jennifer Walters successfully argued that Dan Germain actually died in that vat and the new entity of Danger Man was created. So they sued Roxon for the death <laughs> of Dan Germain and they settled for $85 million. <laughs> this is awful. Uh, based entirely on the, the Phoenix Saga event. Amazing. Of, uh, once you get new powers and become powered, you are a new entity. Yeah. Um... There's tons of cameos which we're getting to see in this. Uh, Spider Man sues the Daily Bugle. He sues J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, tremendous. Um, Howard the Duck sues George Lucas for, right, oh, <laughs> for the rights to his own movie. Oh, brilliant. Um, and there's, there's actually a, a, a book written uh, about, where a booklet written about She Hulk by a legal scholar. It's called Paradoxes and Patriarchy, a legal reading of She Hulk by a, a legal scholar called Dale Mitchell. Mm. Mitchell argues, argues in the book that Jennifer's superpowers do not make her immune from the struggles faced by the female voice within the legal system. Mm. It is within the law the most important patriarchal tool of all, that Jennifer is truly oppressed. Oh. She-Hulk reveals that superhero powers are needed to overcome the challenges of feminist lawyering. Um, and I thought that was it. It was neat that we got a legal scholar writing about uh, legal She-Hulk stuff. And I think we get a really nice, um, even if it's done kind of mainly through sarcasm, but we do have these great moments of um, fighting the patriarchy in yeah. this Disney series, which oh, I think is really cool. No, I like that. Also, you mentioned Howard the Duck. Like Howard the Duck, from what I understand, uh, She-Hulk sort of breaks the fourth wall. There's satire in there. I mean, she she does break. She does she does the old bit of flea bagging in the TV show, and I assume she does that in the comics. Like, what exactly does she do? The front cover of issue one of John Byrne's sensational She-Hulk features She-Hulk holding up a comic of her old cancelled comic book from the 70s <laughs> and saying, okay, this is your second chance. If you don't buy my book this time, I'm going to come round to your house and rip up all your X-Men. <laughs> I in, love in the, it. In that story, that story, first of all, is a, is a massive... Um, uh, it makes fun of the time the Hulk joined the circus. Yeah. Do you remember that? We talked about that in Avengers. Uh, what was it? Uh, Meccano. Meccano, yeah. yeah. This whole first issue, uh, the She-Hulk is hypnotized and forced to join a circus, mm. and they just they, 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 they do tons of, taking tons of shots at satirizing old Hulk stories. Yeah. Um, in the story, She-Hulk finds by the end that she's been stalked by a mysterious villain and all the troubles that she's had 
are from this mysterious villain that, that, that um, she doesn't know who's behind it all. Mm. And it prompts her to say, I know how these things work. It'll be at least my third issue before I find out who it is. <laughs> Although you readers will probably find out on the next page. Yeah. I um, like that. Sensational, she would, would satirize and make fun of all these older stories, like these lame characters and lame stories from the past, particularly if they involve the Hulk. Um, and it was, like you said, it's not the first time that a superhero character had broken the fourth wall. How the Duck had done it, mm. um, Superman had done it a few times yeah. in the 50s and 60s. He would occasionally, like he did on his TV series, the old George Reeves TV series, he would turn and wink at the audience when covering up his secret identity. <laughs> um, but these were occasional. Yeah. And She-Hulk, the, the sensational She-Hulk, John Byrne series, broke the fourth wall constantly and stretched the boundaries of what was fiction and what was metafiction. Previous fourth wall breaking was often restricted to like nodding and winking at the audience, sometimes mm. literally, or characters mentioning that they existed within a comic book. She-Hulk talked to and frequently argued with John Byrne, the writer, <laughs> artist, and creator of the series. Byrne himself would talk back. You'd see a speech bubble coming from nowhere, like from above. Um, She-Hulk would climb out of the panel that she was on, a comic book page is broken down to a series of panels with a normally with a border. She-Hulk would actually put her step out of the panel. And so when she was mad at John Byrne, she'd be like, I'm going to come out there and get you. And other characters in the comic would have to hold her back oh, and go, no, you tremendous. can't. Like, they would say, you can't. We're at, we've already been published and co coloured and published. Leave it out like, again. <laughs> He's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, but as in, but literally... This is not the design stage. We're in shops. That's not John Byrne out there. That's a reader. <laughs> like, the level of stuff they would do, the metafictional stuff that Byrne did in this. Mm. Um, She-Hulk would rip up the pages she was on to reveal the next page behind it, and then drawn on that would be the next page behind it. Amazing. In one issue, she defeats a villain by reaching across to the next panel that he's mm. on on the page ripping the panel up that he was appearing in so that he no longer existed and she no longer was in there she was like a negative blank space <laughs> you know ripping the, the pages up and throwing them away um the fourth wall breaking in she-hulk was far more than like a nod and a wink yeah yeah john Byrne she-hulk would literally disrupt the very nature of her own reality fantastic so we see a lot of uh, She-Hulk's dating life in this series. And I have to say, a fair few of us kept posting the gif from Community of Dean going, this better not awaken anything in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, She-Hulk is very sexy. Is that something we see a lot of in the comics, her dating life? Yeah, post John Burns kind of um, this present presenting her as mm. this modern, liberated, sex positive female character. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some big names. Uh, she's dated like Luke Cage, um, uh, John Jameson, uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son, who is of course Man Wolf, <laughs> and also sometimes Star God. Mm. They 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 got married, um, but that didn't last. She was engaged to a Fantastic Four. Um, character, a college friend of um, of Johnny Storm's called Wyatt Wingfoot. Um, she had an affair with Thanos's brother Eros. Mm. Um, she so for eight during John Burns' run, 
she would always fantasize about Hercules as like that was her dream guy. He was so dreamy <laughs> and he was so so beefcakey, and she would fantasize him a lot about him like arriving like on a, like a white knight, and they would have this whole relationship. And then when she met him, <laughs> finally met him, mm. he was an asshole, an absolute douche. Like she learned that he didn't take kindly to women expressing views of equality or possessing like being as strong as him and she was like this guy sucks um and then later <laughs> later later on when she was completely over that mm. um like in in the in Dan Slot's series um she encounters him again during an adventure and he's like just fighting the bad guy and not saving the good the people the people around and Jennifer is like helping to save everyone. She completely outperforms him in that. She so basically she saves the world. She uh, subdues Hercules. She sleeps with him and then she kicks him out the next morning uh, with not even a cup of coffee. And she's like, "I got that out of my system. That's out of my system I now. Like I've I've done it. I don't want to want and then gone." Um, oh. She slept with Iron Man, um, and then they have this pillow talk Mm. about the double standards of Tony Stark sleeps with loads of people, and it's not a big deal. She's got, but Jennifer does it, and she's got a reputation. Um, So that's kind of quite knowing and self-aware. She got into a relationship with Thor very recently. Oh, very good. um, In the the pages of Avengers. and Juggernaut, although there's a big asterisk next to that one, um, it it wasn't it didn't happen in the She-Hulk series. It happened in X-Men. Oh, right. So it's not. And Dan Slot was really annoyed mm. that he was like, My, "She, I'm writing She-Hulk. She would not have slept with Juggernaut." <laughs> and so, and he was like, "Because no one asked him. Like they didn't say, can we have She-Hulk have a one night stand with Juggernauts?'" Mm. They just did it. So Dan Slott started to write into the She-Hulk series all these people saying to her, didn't you uh, Didn't you sleep with Juggernaut? And she's like, no, I didn't. What are you talking... So it becomes a running joke in She-Hulk that She-Hulk has slept with Juggernaut because it happened in X-Men but didn't happen in She-Hulk. It ends up being revealed. He creates Dan Slott creates this whole plot around uh, Jennifer Walters discovering it's actually... A version of her from a parallel universe. Oh, here we go. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah. travels. There's this whole um, holiday company based around the idea that somewhere in the multiverse, you probably have superpowers. With our holiday company, we'll teleport you there. You'll get superpowers and have a lovely two week break as a superpowered version of yourself. And she's like, So that wasn't me. It was Jennifer Walters from Earth 7. We've mentioned this before that service they set up for superheroes. It was yeah because I wanted to reference this because it was a, a cool moment. So yeah. she confronts the person because you slept with Juggernaut really. So that was a, a really nice way of Dan Slot kind of dealing with um, with something that happened outside of his control. But yeah, I, 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 just just to go to the TV show for it, there was a bit I really loved in regards to this where she does have that one night stand and in the morning the guy's like I ah, not he sees her as Jennifer and is like ah and I love the subtext about that. It's like the morning after, you're not seeing the same person that you're in love with the night before. And it's like, oh, I got that. I got that right away. And it was a beautiful little moment. It, the, the recent relationship with Thor got off to a rocky start because like, Thor's never expressed an interest in She-Hulk mm. until she was this new 
like super hulky version of of and so jennifer was like i don't think you like me yeah. i think you like the new she hulk and i'm not but they kind of worked their way through it it's 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 interesting i've never seen that happen for a long time on tv or film where they do that exact situation like you know you're not you're falling in love with an aspect of me rather than who i am and it's just oh i love that subtext anyway final question final question so we've got the lovely uh, jamelia jamil who seems to be a recurring villain as uh, titania uh, is titania uh, a, a character from the she hulk comics i've always thought it's titania titania are they saying Titania in the show? I, they I'm might say sure. Titania. I think Titania because I'm thinking of uh, Shakespeare. Yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream. So Titania, as I'm going to say it, was created by the former editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, Jim Shooter, and introduced in the 1984 crossover limited series event, Secret Wars. Now, we've got a whole episode on this, as I'm sure Will remembers, but I'm going to refresh your memory. Secret Wars was this joint project in the 80s between Marvel Comics and Mattel Toys to essentially create the new He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Like a big toy line supported by a comic book series. So Marvel would create a sensational new comic book, um, put their all their superheroes off on this exotic world to have battles, and it was designed to like drive kids to buy new Marvel toys and vehicles and all that kind of stuff created by Mattel. <laughs> As part of the project, Mattel's feedback was, all right, you don't have enough female characters to support this line, this toy line. We need more female characters. So uh, Jim Shooter created some new supervillains for the series. And one of them was uh, a young lady called Mary McFerrin. Uh, born prematurely in Denver in Colorado she grew up scrawny and and really short of stature um she had a crap job and she was bullied by the very posh rich people in the area her only friend was a, a another girl called Marsha and they were both picked on a lot both struggled to support their families and and Mary would often fantasize. She was very resentful to her bullies and fantasize about gaining powers like other people she saw on television, being admired, kind of being beautiful and extracting revenge and and on not just the torment but the rest of the world. And then a section of Denver is ripped from the earth and <laughs> shot into space. Okay. Um because the beyonder, mm. a godlike being is creating a world from pieces of other worlds and creating something <laughs> called battle worlds yes. where he's going to set the heroes against the villains um so she's just one of these many innocent people living in denver that accidentally get flown across the universe and because they're, they're you know the the town they live in is ripped up and teleported and she ends up on, on, on Battle World where um, Mary and her friend are found by Doctor Doom. Mm. Doom is in need of more superhuman operatives in his wars. And uh, Mary and her friend Marsha agree and volunteer to get power in exchange for, you know, basically serving as one of Doom's supervillains. Uh, Doom uses this highly advanced alien technology uh, to imbue both women with with like powerful immense energies mm. from the alien storm clouds on the on the planet and he uh he recreates both of their their entire 
DNA and bodies and gives them specific metahuman abilities. Um, the 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 girl Marsha um, receives kind of fiery lava powers and becomes known as Volcana, and Mary gains. So it's meant to be diametrically opposed abilities to her previous form. Okay. So she was scrawny and short and little, and she becomes tall, muscular, big of stature, super strong, super you know dense, durable, mm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and with that change in 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 phys- physical stature comes a change in personality. Instead of being small and timid uh, and kind of resentful, Titania is now brash and confident and cocky and arrogant and all these things. And and off she goes. She works with for Doctor Doom, and she's like really into it. She's like awesome. I can beat people up. This is all I've ever wanted. As someone who's been beaten up their whole life, all I've ever wanted to do is beat other people up. Um, and so she, yeah, she she gets into this. She fights Thor and the X Men, Wolverine, and she 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 beats, she defeats She Hulk in a fight, uh, and that starts their long rivalry. Um, although during she does have this, she does get her ass kicked by Spider Man. Um, very handily because he's just quicker, stronger. I mean, is he stronger? But he's certainly quicker. And that she gets like this lifelong kind of fear of of Spider Man based on 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 being humiliated by him. It's like he was she was being bullied again because Spider Man like taunts his 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 villains. Mm. So she had this. She reverted back to being uh, meek and scared and a victim. Yeah. Um. She forms a relationship with the Absorbing Man in in this series, and that's one that lasts. They become that becomes like a defining part of her character. Titania and the Absorbing Man become like a Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> they are in a relationship. They get married. All of that. She has many many different battles with She Hulk because there's like a she sees it as a rivalry now, which She Hulk kind of is not even aware of. Um, and she joins kind of different gangs like the Masters of Evil, but also with Titania. There are flashes throughout the years. She kind of displays like relatable qualities, um, and and that that kind of honor amongst thieves thing. She has a code, mm. not maybe not a great code, but she has a code. So she might commit robberies and crimes, but she won't let an innocent person be caught in the crossfire and hurt or killed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah, she yeah. might be. She might be. She might snatch a kid out of, out of the way of falling rubble and be like, "You're dumb kid. Are you going to get yourself killed?" Like she's not <laughs> nice, but she's not going to let you know a child be like really badly she's not hurt. Evil. Well, that's debatable. Okay, um, okay. When when the absor- her husband, the absorbing man, is fighting the new Jane Foster Thor mm. and making loads of sexist comments, Titania knocks her own husband out. And then refuses to fight the new Thor and is like, he was a he was a dick. Okay, I'm going to jail. <laughs> like she's got that kind of respect for a woman becoming Thor and being strong and powerful, and she's trying to apologize for her husband's comments. So she knocks him out and is like, okay, take us to jail. We'll break out, but whatever. <laughs> um, when she's with a gang of supervillains and she does lots of stuff with them, but then they all decide to get revenge on the Avengers by attacking the Avengers' family members. Mm. Titania turns on all of them and beats the leader leader up because she's like, that's a moral line we should not cross. Um, So there is some ethics and morality there. And this does seem to be returned by the heroes that 
she encounters. When Titania and the Absorbing Man get married, they have the, all, all their supervillain friends at the wedding. Yeah. And the Avengers find out, oh, there's the event where all the supervillains we need to stop are there. <laughs> but they don't break the ceremony up. They let the two get married. Um, when the Absorbing Man was believed to be dead, um, Captain America and Thor both went to the funeral to pay their respects to someone that they had known for many, many years, and they offered some, you know, some words of comfort to Titania. And when Titania was going to go straight um, and wanted to kind of reform, She-Hulk helped her get a new job and stuff. So there are. Can you see what I'm trying to yeah, say? There's yeah. this. She's obviously a bad person, but <laughs> there is some relatable elements to it, and it does seem like she's become a bit more of like an anti-hero over the years. Although she still wants to rob. And steal money and stuff like that, mm. but I think the ones that want to just want to rob money, you know, at least they're not trying to murder your family. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> that's, that. That's what you want. Yeah. Now, where this is going to go in the TV series, very interesting. It seems like from what I've seen that they are sort of keying the character up to do stuff down later down the line. Gotcha. I don't think we've seen the end of Titania. Reading list for She-Hulk if you've enjoyed the TV series. I mean, I think the sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne is where all this starts. The fourth wall breaking. A, a brand new presentation of She-Hulk um, as, as a more modern person. Mm. Um, of course, you have, you know... You know, if you're not a fan of cheesecake poses or fumbling attempts at feminism, maybe it's not for you. Um, but there's certainly a lot of uh, a lot of fun to be had in the way it, the comedy and the way it makes fun of comic book stories and stuff like that. Um, Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne. There is a big omnibus, or you can get an epic collections, which which have shorter tray paperbacks. I cannot recommend enough She-Hulk by Dan Slott. Um, that's really, really, really awesome. That's where you get all those fun, wacky, superhuman lore stories. It's back to She-Hulk being fun and funnier. There's not a huge amount of fourth wall breaking. I think there's only one instance of fourth wall breaking mm. in the Dan Slott series. It's not as important as it was with John Byrne was doing it. He he tries to create a character that can exist in the Marvel Universe and, and have lots of cameos and stuff. Um, it's great. I've got the Dan Slot Omnibus, She-Hulk Omnibus, um, which is kind of pricey. But if you want um, smaller, cheaper ones, look out for She-Hulk Superhuman Law by Dan Slot. I believe that's where the whole thing starts. Um, and also check out the current series, She-Hulk by Rainbow Rowell, um, in single issues. It's on news, it's at comic book shops right now. Um, after She-Hulk's been through some quite aggressive and dark stories, um, Rainbow Rowell is returning, uh, Shulky to kind of fun, superhuman legal adventures with an emphasis on kind of being lighthearted and, 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 and comedy based. Um, so you can check those out in your local comic book store. Please, please, please don't use Amazon. They're not good at all for the comic book industry um it's much much better to find a local comic book shop either bricks and mortar or online if it's online they will deliver to your house you can usually pay by paypal lots of nice and secure wonderful things that you'll benefits you get from amazon but you'll be ensuring the comic industry gets uh, more of the money that they need and supports the uh the creators much better than amazon does our next episode 
It's Halloween, so mm. we've packed October with spooky shows. Our next episode is the horror-themed X-Men spin-off, The New Mutants. I'm excited about this one. See you there. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe, give us five stars, recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel. If you want exclusive bonus episodes, head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Join us next time as we look at the new mutants.